Well, boys, do it to it. Here we are. This is the this is the election episode. Yeah, for uh, people who might not be in Alberta, uh, we are on the eve of a provincial election in this province, and uh, it's too close to call right now. I think is the latest polls are. Yeah, it depends on on the polls you go to, right? Um, mainstream. Uh, the the director of mainstream uh, polling said that he would not just eat his hat if there was not an NDP majority. He would eat two hats. Huh. I believe he said that earlier this week. Oh, wow. Whereas Janet Brown's polling is and Abacus are calling for a UCP majority. Hmm. So. So who's the head of the mainstream? Mainstream media? I forget his name, to be honest. Uh, Shogi? Shogi? Something, something to that effect? Mainstream, I have found, is usually pretty good. Like, they were really, like, they were the first uh, um, polling firm that I recall that predicted the NDP victory in 2015. Okay. They were the first ones to do that, and they were, they were pretty good federally. However, they really dropped the ball in Alberta in 2019. Yeah. They uh, massively overestimated NDP support. I mean, just uh, going over the homework... You remember last time, uh, in 2019, the polls had the NDP and the UCP neck and neck, right up to, right up to election day. It was too close to call, but when it all shook out, uh, the UCP had 50.02 percent of the popular vote in 63 seats, whereas the NDP and the Alberta Party combined had 42.85 percent and only 24 seats. Yeah, so, how many of those seats were Alberta Party? Probably none. None. Right? None. Yeah. none. I've, I've counted them like in the 2012 and the 20, uh, 2019 elections. I've counted them kind of as combined for their popular vote because they're drawing from the same constituency, really. I don't think there's a lot of swing from Alberta Party to UCP. I think the Alberta Party got most of its support from people who were um, opposed to the UCP, but not completely comfortable with the more radical side of the NDP. So the obvious question for me is, in both those years, <clears throat> what percentage of that 48% was Alberta Party versus NDP? In 2019, 2.23% was Alberta Party, 40.62% was NDP. In 2012, the Alberta Party had 1.31% compared to 9.85% for the NDP. We should probably lay a little groundwork again for people who may not be in Alberta. Uh, the, the UCP is the United Conservative Party, um, formerly just the Conservative Party, but then there was an amalgamation between a breakaway conservative movement called the Wild Rose Party, and it became, when they reunited, it became the United Conservative Party. Uh, the NDP is the New Democratic Party, and it is the primary left-wing party in the province. Uh, and for what it's worth, again, if you're not from Alberta, the UCP has essentially been the governing party in the province with one interruption for about 60 years? Pretty much since 1971. Yeah, with other than the one interruption uh, in 20... What was it, 2019? 15 to 19. 15 to 19, yeah. yeah. That Something that should be pointed out, again, for folks um, not necessarily, not necessarily in... Uh, in Alberta or even in Canada is that Canadian provincial politics tends toward dynasties. 
that most Canadian mm. provinces tend to have parties that form three, four, five majorities in a row. Yep. That this is the norm in Canadian provincial politics. For example, Alberta first became a province in 1905. From 1905 to 1921, it was governed by the Liberal Party. From 1921 or 22 on into, I think, 32, 33, it was governed by the United Farmers of Alberta. The United Farmers Movement was an agrarian party that had several branches. There was the United Farmers of Ontario, uh, UFA. I think there was the United Farmers of Manitoba. It was a... It was at a you know product of a time when agriculture was a major major economic force and employed a lot of people. Then in the in the depression, it was turfed out uh, by the Social Credit Party, which was a economically social credit is difficult to to place on the spectrum. Economically left wing, socially uh, very conservative, and they governed. From 32 right until 1970, 1970 uh, in a very long dynasty. But again, this was norm. This was the norm for Canadian politics at the time. Well, yeah. it's certainly the norm for Alberta politics. Well, no, I mean, we'll look at look at the even the, British even British Columbia, right? Like yep. British Columbia was so cred for probably decades, 1970 until the end of the the. The so uh, in Quebec was run by the Union Nationale and Merci de Plessis from the 20s on into right up into the late 60s hmm. uh, in, a, in a dynasty of almost the same length of time. Uh, the Ontario Tories under Bill Davis. Yeah, Davis had a long for tenure. For decades. Yeah. Uh, the Saskatchewan NDP. For a long, long ruled time. Until... For decades. Yeah. Literally right from the 1930s up into, oh, when did the Saskatchewan party finally crack that? After the millennia? Oh yeah, no. It was like they're like, like almost an eighty-year dynasty. Yeah, like the Saskatchewan, the Saskatchewan party, I think, is on their third term right now. Yeah. So, so uh, this is a this. I mean, we we like to think of Alberta being dynastic. No, provincial provincial politics is very dynastic. Yeah. Uh, probably the most highest turnover is in the Maritimes, where like I only got two terms in a row. Like, what the hell are those guys? Doing? Yeah. I like <laughs> they, they change their governments like they change their socks. My God, every eight years, what the hell, you know? Yeah. So, but I, I was even going to point out that, that that like since the fall of the Social Credit Party in the mm-hmm. BC, they've been ruled by the NDP uninterrupted, and that would happen in the late nineteen nineties, I think. So. What was that? The BC has been oh, essentially yeah. yeah ruled by the NDP. Yeah, yeah. Since the end of the Social Creds, and yeah. that was like I said, mid to late nineteen nineties when the Social Creds yes uh, dissolved. Yeah, they kind of kind of collapsed. Yeah. Well, the leader I think went. Got indicted. I think he might have gone to jail, Bill Van Der Zam. Yeah, yeah. I think he might have. Yeah, he might have. <clears throat> so, I mean, that's been happening a lot since <clears throat> late eighties, early nineties. What's that? Politicians going to jail? No, but but you'll have a party that kind of implodes for a while. Mm. Yeah, right. We had that in twenty fifteen. Up until six months before the election, the Liberals had crapped the bed so bad previously that no one, no one was. Looking at them, it was only Trudeau the Younger who came in and kind of turned that around and pulled the pulled well, they, the carpet from under the feet of uh, the they, New Democrats. They were certainly, yeah, I would say, like uh, the Liberals were kind of moribund in that period. Like after Chrétien stepped down, they really didn't have a deep bench. Like they went through, um, they went through Peter uh, Michael Ignatiev. There was uh, another fellow before him, uh, a francophone who tried to run on very green credentials. He wasn't a very strong leader. Mm-hmm. 
Um, like he, he's a strong leader, I should say, a strong personality. He wasn't very dynamic. And of course, they had the misfortune of coming across probably the most competent federal conservative leader yeah. of, the 20, of, of the past 80 years. Well, certainly since, since oh my God, Borden yeah. in Stephen Harper. And he ate them for lunch. Um, you don't think Diefenbaker was up there? No, no. I think Diefenbaker was actually quite incompetent. Had it not been for the spat between the Union Nacional and the federal liberals, Diefenbaker never would have been elected. Hmm. Without his Quebec caucus, he never would have even come within a cab ride of a majority. And that's why he only lasted that one term, because uh, Duplessis simply wanted to send a message to the federal liberals as to who's really in charge. Hmm. And so, of course, the federal liberals mended fences. <clears throat> Quebec swung, like, the, the UN machine stayed home on the next federal election mm -hmm. and Quebecers swung en masse back to the Liberal Party and the Conservatives went back into the wilderness. Interesting. Sorry, we digress there. No, not at all. It's, uh, it, it's all in there. So that was a, a big... Yeah, Stéphane Dion. Right. That was the name of the guy. Yep. So yeah, the Liberal bench was not deep at the time. Well, my impression was... I can't even remember. Was Martin after or before Chrétien? After. After. He took after. over from Chrétien. And, and there was also a real rift within the Liberal Party. Well, not just that. I think I seem to remember the public perception was that it was just after those two governments, um, there was just, it, it was the corruption that had come out. You know, the same way that the Tory party had, had kind of imploded for a while after Mulroney. Um same thing happened after Chrétien Martin with the Liberals. So well, that's, that's why we yeah. had what we had in 2015. Well, I think um, part of the problem with a party with a really, really strong leader is that sometimes these leaders have a tendency to discourage a succession plan mm -hmm. in order to cement their own power. And Pierre Trudeau was very much one of those leaders. He always wanted to cement his hold. And so he, he liked to keep his subordinates scrapping underneath him. So in order to, to keep his position secure. So that when he stepped down, there was no succession plan. There was no, when he went for his walk in the snow, there was no one who was able to take over. And the party was deeply divided <clears throat> between the Chrétien camp and the John Turner camp. Mm -hmm. And then that, the, the John Turner camp moved to... Paul Martin, and then that rift uh, really weakened the liberal effort. Um, they weren't a unified group until until Justin Trudeau. Yeah, they like there. I think they were they were unified by the time Michael Ignatiev came around. After like the the first there's there's a certain and I think this was also in the Alberta Progressive Conservatives in 2015. There's a certain disbelief. Like, we've been in power for so long. We cannot possibly lose. There's just a disbelief that the worst could actually happen. Then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, it does. Well, I think two and things... And then it, it galvanizes mm -hmm. the party members. And then they say, okay, put aside our, our petty differences. The external threat is greater. Stephen Harper is the greater threat. We, they, and they were all behind mm -hmm. guys like uh, Ignatiev. He was just... 
he just he just wasn't the man of the hour. Well, he was a carpetbagger. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing against Ignatiev in 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 as as a person. Like, I don't find him despicable. I don't think he's a villain. Um, he just wasn't the kind of guy who could really excite the electorate. Yeah, not no, no. like a Justin Trudeau could. <laughs> no, he was he was an intellectual. I I, I think he, he wasn't was. even a politician. Really, the, he, yeah, he yeah. came in and I don't think he even had a seat. I, no, he didn't. He, no, he, he did didn't because he was. I mean, he literally moved up to take the leadership because he was still, I think, teaching at Harvard. Yes, right up until after he won the leadership. Yep, and then uh, moved up, and then eventually got a seat, and then yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like Michael Ignatiev was like is like Canada's John Kerry, kind of. Yeah, right. Yeah, without the military service, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but kind of that boring. Yeah. Droll. Yeah, yeah, he, like he wasn't exciting. No, he wasn't exciting, and I think the Liberal Party united behind him because he was all they had. Yeah, but their bench was not deep. No. Well, again, you know, and and it, I I still emphasize it. I think it was it was a corruption thing. Like that, they had yeah they had lost the faith of the electorate. Oh yeah, and, and that's oh, what yeah. was playing out until Trudeau came up the middle and just yeah. stole and, the and, vote. and that has like there was oh he deep, didn't come up the middle he came up the left there were yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no okay, he literally yeah. came up the left wing yeah, right like because yes because he did out Trudeau the key to Trudeau's success is yes. siphoning all those left wing yeah. voters off the NDP yeah totally right and that's the yeah key but we knew a lot but of those voters were all they were already liberal voters who had gone NDP because they didn't they they had a distaste for the liberals yes they leveraged Trudeau's name. Um, and, yeah. and he created that, you know, the sec, this second wave of Trudeau mania yeah. because, uh, you know, juxtaposed, juxtaposed against, um, I can't even remember who the, the Tory was in that election. Uh, oh, oh, it was just, it was, against, was well, it against the first, Harper the first, again? the first one was against Harper. The second yeah. one was Andrew who, yeah. And then and the third then, one was, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. But it was against yeah. Harper. Yeah. Right. But that was a gimme because, yeah. Yeah, the, Tory, uh, the Tories had been in. They for, were tired. And it, it is almost impossible. Like, it is incredibly rare in Westminster parliaments to win three uh, or to win more than three terms. Yeah, to win more than three. Yeah. Well, yeah. and by it's then, Harper, rare. <clears throat> the perception of Harper, as we've discussed many times, is he, he was so freaking arrogant that he united the country against him. Well, right. And, and, and. Um, the media campaign against him had finally begun to bear fruit. Yeah. Had fi- I mean, because uh, in, when you see him in his public appearances, he is so unlike the way he was portrayed. He was portrayed as a tyrant, portrayed as a dictator, as a short-tempered, angry man, a very dislikable fellow, uh, like the, the Hogue effect. Heck of a guy. Um, conservative vote bases are more receptive to a politician who is perceived as being someone you'd want to invite to a backyard barbecue. Whereas progressive vote bases are, that holds no appeal. Someone who would be more, who would fit in better at a wine and cheese tends to appeal more to the progressive vote base. That media campaign alienated Harper from that vote base. And, that, and that's what it was intended to do. Well, it was I, very effective. <clears throat> so I, I, I don't know. I have a couple of responses to that because that was my impression. So A, on the one hand, 
uh, is it accurate to call it a, a media campaign against him? Because that implies that it wasn't accurate. Like, yes, what yes. was yes. what may or may not have been accurate about? Because on a, on an issue by issue basis, I remember mm-hmm. things coming up, and I looked at you know what was being discussed and what was what was being said about it, mm-hmm. and as separate issues, I found them distasteful. Like right? what? And, uh, <clears throat> the one that specifically comes. The specific one that comes to mind is the, the shutting down of science. Uh, uh, the the muzzling of the scientists. Yes. I was hoping you were going to mention that. Uh, the other one was just a- across the board that he didn't tolerate <clears throat> any dissension. Right. That he was a tyrant. That he right. was a dictator within caucus. Right. Um, and Which is completely and totally inaccurate. So let's, before we get into a debate about that, whether we do or mm. not, because we're supposed right. to be, eventually we'll get back to the Alberta yeah, to bit. the provincial election. Yes, right. yes. Well, we're uh, setting the table here. We're setting the table. But, I, I think on the other hand, is to be a successful politician, mm-hmm. you know, if that's how it's going to play out, <clears throat> then you have, you've messed up, right? You know, he allowed himself to be portrayed that way and he didn't successfully counter that, right? So, well, they were also conservative politicians at the time. Uh, and this is something conservative politicians are dealing with still today. It's still an issue. But I think they have more tools in the toolbox to counter it. Um, they had no alternative to the left-wing monopoly on the information space, on the media space. Mm-hmm. And the CBC and uh, Global were, and the entire media network that Global is a part of, mm-hmm. including print and whatnot, Um, was a massive left-wing monolith that was working character assassination against them. Harper was, uh, I remember at the time, you know, the term Harper derangement syndrome. Yep. Where it was, Harper was portrayed as evil incarnate. Now, you mentioned the muzzling of the scientists. This was Mm -hmm. the buzzword that was muzzling, was seen across media platforms. Mm -hmm. Like... This is why it's, it's really hard to argue there's no left-wing media collusion when every single outlet uses the same planned language. But that policy has not changed. That right. exact policy has not changed in what, what are we talking about? 10 years? A decade? A it's liberal a government? decade, yep. Decade of liberal government. That policy has not been changed. Has there been a single word in the CBC, or Global, or Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, Montreal Gazette, CBC Radio, that. about, hey, man, they're still muzzling scientists. No, the issue went away. It was a temporary propaganda point for character assassination. It was a fabricated issue. So <clears throat> here's, here's where I went, as you yeah. said, all these things. So we, we've been down these... Or I've been down yeah. this road internally yeah. when we sat down before, right? Like the, the whole concept of, you know, this mainstream media conspiracy. On the one hand, I find it curious because I always think of the national, I think of global yeah. as the national post uh, in the same way. Very right of center. Global? Global. Now, I might be going back to the 80s and 90s here, but... You would have to. You'd well, have in the to. 80s, and 90s, global, global didn't exist yeah. until the well, late uh, no, 90s. but yeah, okay, global was ITV back. In yeah, as ITV, yeah. and it was yeah. literally independent. Yeah, it was that's independent. What, that's what it stood yeah. for. It was independent television. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, 
So I and ITV was it was literally only Edmonton and Calgary. Did they? Yeah. No, I don't think did they broadcast in Calgary. I think they. I think they were only Edmonton only. But anyway, they were owned by George Allard. The yeah. guy's name was Allard anyway. Yeah. The place where the studio mm-hmm. is, is is called Allard Way over yeah. on the south side by. Yeah. By yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the another thing like you know specific to the you know are we talking about muzzling of scientists anymore? No, as a specific issue, no. Um. Oh shit! Short-term memory loss. Fuck. Well, anyway, like, just my my point is that it was um, the media very much stuck has for um, pretty obviously now since since the nineteen the nineteen seventies and becoming more egregiously more so with each election cycle. Okay. The media hmm. is no longer on the sidelines commenting on the events. They are active participants in the field. Yeah, but deliberately I, attempting to sway the vote. First of all, that to me that applies in both directions, right? I see that shit from the National Post all the time, right? Sure, uh, except it's predominantly overwhelming favoring the left. Of the ones that you listed, CBC Radio, CBC, CBC Mainstream, yeah. um, Globe and Mail. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a shorter Toronto list. Star. I haven't seen anything from the Montreal Gazette lately, but of all of those that you just named, mm-hmm. I have seen more than one article from each of them in the last one to two years mm-hmm. that call out um, the Trudeau government. Well, sure. Quite- and it, was, it was global that broke the story of Trudeau actually surfing into Fino during Native Reconciliation Day. Yeah. However, when the election kicks in, mm-hmm. when the writ is dropped, these mm-hmm. media outlets are four square behind the lead progressive party. It's a much shorter list to say, okay, who's not? Financial Post, National Post, Sunchain. Mm-hmm. That's it. You want your right-wing media? There you go. No, I agree. And- otherwise, otherwise, new media is the battle. And, and this is where I said that guys like Harper didn't have a counter to the leftist control of the information space. That is kind of changing now, and the Alberta election, and, and just to kind of you know foreshadow something I'd like to talk to you about today, the Alberta election, I think, is a very radical, de- or not radical, but say a, a significant deviation from that previous pattern, where I think the United Conservatives have made aggressive use of new media. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to like you know how you said. Look, Harper kind of screwed up because he wasn't able to successfully counter that uh, character assassination in the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. The Smith Conservatives have abandoned mainstream media, and I think what we're seeing now is, for example, something done very uh, um, skillfully by the federal conservatives is to portray or to call out the legacy media as being biased, as being a talk sh- a progressive talk shop. So when the CBC makes a, a, a criticism of the federal liberals, right there in the press conference, Paul Yev just says, well, look at you, consider the source. Of course you're sandbagging for your buddies in the liberal party. Dismissing, ah, but it's effective. It is effective because it puts the seed of doubt in the electorate's mind to say, so next time, for example, the CBC has pulled out all the stops in going after Danielle Smith in this campaign. They have been the only competitor 
is maybe uh, who's that guy who writes for the Globe and Mail on Alberta politics? It's basically called you know Smith everything between the Wicked Witch and and Martin Bowman. Um, uh, and basically, Albertans are a bunch of redneck, ignorant hicks if they vote for her again, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, that, that attitude is everywhere in this country, right? Outside of Alberta. In <clears throat> the past, that has people have looked at that and said, well, I don't know, maybe there's something to that. 15, 20 years ago, certainly. Today, with this counter message being launched through new media, number one, Conservative messaging can get across without the filters of the mainstream media. Second, people now look at these, uh, not everyone, but some people. Now, I don't know what the percentage is. We're going to find out on Monday. Some people are able to look at this biased coverage and say, well, is that true? Or is that just the CBC? Is that true? Or is that just global? So, so it puts the seed of doubt. It were... The information space is no longer a progressive monopoly. That's what makes this election different than, say, in previous previous uh, contests. I, I have so many bullet points to throw onto the same page. They're all it's yours, buddy. Have at her. Right. So, first of all, I have a huge problem with the way society has been polarized uh, across the board mm -hmm. in so many ways. Uh, and it's the loud, loudest voices and stuff like that. I don't like, <clears throat> and this comes from the whole fake news bullshit. Right, so now all of a sudden everyone has to question everything, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're demonizing the quote-unquote mainstream media. There's a lot of things that came out of your mouth there that that I find are very lopsided, right? You're accusing the left of control of the media. Of oh yeah, dem demagoguery. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, what you got? Ha demagoguery. I'm not going to criticize them for because that's politics. Politics is demagoguery. However, biased use of the media. Absolutely, I'll criticize them. For but you, you get the same thing coming out of the National Post. Okay, right? like three outlets. Three outlets. If we're going to talk about what's on the other side of the fence, man, I would need 15 minutes to name all of them off. Like the weight of traffic. My whole point the is... The other this. thing, before, before we go any further, it should be noted. It, it, it's essential to this. That these outlets, which are so outrageously biased, have always presented themselves as unbiased they have always tried to say oh no 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 we're professional journalists we are above the fray we're not taking sides when they so clearly are it was uh have you seen the cbc vote compass for the alberta election how they're portraying uh, the ndp as centrist seriously seriously okay so this brings me to another point right and, and again i feel like sometimes <clears throat> having a conversation mm -hmm. with you guys is like playing chess with the devil <laughs> right because you know it, it, it's like okay uh -huh. you, you've made a point but here uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna move the chessboard yeah, yeah, around yeah. here to, because to address now, that point now okay. we're gonna talk this other thing right right um you know again you, you want to talk what do you call it uh you called it harper derangement syndrome yeah right okay i see that all the time from the other side oh yes right? yes notly derangement syndrome Trudeau derangement Well, I would definitely say right? with Trudeau derangement right? yeah, and, yeah. and I get yeah. it, right? Yeah. Because I, I have a massive distaste for the Trudeau, Trudeau liberal government mm -hmm. right now, right? And it's, it's gotten to the point where mm. it, my choice is either left of right or right of that, right? I will not vote for that party. Oh, wait, well, federal. Well, hold right? on. Couldn't you vote for, say, federal NDP? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, or federally. Greens. Federally. Like, I don't... Uh, the Greens... 
we don't need to go down that rabbit really? hole right now. You don't, yeah. you don't, you don't like the, you don't like. But I'll, what I'm saying, let's 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 get back to the that's derangement syndrome. That's right? something I want to do a, 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 a um, sure uh, episode on someday. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, but go I on, mean go on. the derangement syndrome, like the Notley thing, right? Let's say on, on social media, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got plenty of friends on Facebook, mm-hmm. ex-members of the regiment, current members of the regiment, mm-hmm. right? And there's this whole presentation of you know. Notley being lapdog to Jack make it sing. Yes. And, and Pierre Trudeau. Which has been a right? major talking point of the UCP in yeah. this in this election. And, and, you know, again, to me, that's just... I'm not going to pay attention to that, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you've got an issue, fucking talk to me about an issue, right? Well, if, you, if you just want to portray her as this, that, and the other thing... You know, well, I, I have a huge problem. Like, I, I'd happily discuss mm-hmm. the merits of Danielle Smith. Right. And the UCP, or the history well, of the Tory party yeah, in this that province is but, kind of the issue. There, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to be devil's advocate on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, they are trying to portray the the notion, or they're 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 trying to put out there that the provincial NDP does not have full sovereignty in policy, that the federal party can overrule provincial policy, so that if the it's basically saying that the Notley uh, or a, a an Alberta NDP government would not be free to fully advocate on behalf of Albertans yeah. and must subjugate their policy initiatives to align with the federal party. I'm going to look into that because I seem to remember, and we're going back to mm-hmm. the 80s under yeah. Grant Notley, yeah. that the provincial party here specifically went to the shortened version of the name ND, mm-hmm. not NDP, to officially dissociate themselves from the federal party, right? Was that and branding, or did they did they? That's what going, I'm going to look yeah. into, right? But I think that was important. Yeah. And and again, I get that you know from the quote unquote right. Mm-hmm. I hesitate to use that term because we've had so many discussions mm-hmm. about that. But if you want to talk to me about uh, the one term tenure mm-hmm. of Rachel Notley as a premier, yeah. On an issue by issue basis, that's great, mm-hmm. right? Let's have that conversation, right? If anyone's going to come to me and say she was just a disaster for this province, this is what I hear is I don't like the NDP, I'll never like the NDP, and therefore I'm just going to portray uh, Rachel Notley as a disaster for the province, right? With, with no other reason for doing that. Well, um, I there was. Um... I think that is probably the biggest single challenge for the NDP in this campaign. Yeah. Is they are what I know they've they've tried to avoid it, strenuously tried to avoid it, and I think that's good policy. Um, but the memory of their term in office, which was disastrous, uh, is still very fresh in the minds of the electorate. It's not this is where their inability, they are the only Government in Alberta history to only have one term, well, and this oh. is this is a, a handicap to them because say when you've got um, <clears throat> when you have a dynastic system, the same party stays in power, but you often have change up of leaders, so it allows the incumbent party to kind of refresh. Yeah. For example, uh, the Progressive Conservatives near the end. As happens with these dynastic systems, they get very moribund. Mm-hmm. And then after, um, I believe Klein, 
Then you went into Stelmac. Yeah. And then you went into... No, no, no. Stelmac was before Clyde. Stelmac was no, after. He was after. He it was went after. Lougheed, Getty, Stelmac. Nope. Klein was in there. Stelmac was after. Really? Yep. And he was very uninspiring. And then you had no, Allison Redford, who was disastrous. Okay. <clears throat> that so she was terrible. Whole bunch of things you said all yeah. tied together here for me. And all then right. um, Redford won her election handily, but so badly mismanaged the province that she would have she would have got crushed had she gone into the polls. And then I believe it was uh, Jim Prentice, yes, who took over, and this gave. This happens a lot, and it allows like look, look at the look at the who we talked about how Lougheed wore out his welcome. Getty took over, was not doing well. He was he would have lost if he had gone against Lawrence Decor. I am I am certain of that. But then Ralph Klein came in, refreshed the party, gave them a new lease on life, and and extended that dynasty again. By the time you get to somebody like Ed Stelmack, who's just not that exciting, who's just not that inspiring, the opposition points out to the many years of mistakes and, and, and uh, detritus that builds up over, over a government. We say, well, that was somebody else. That wasn't us. That was that was well, I, I think that was, that was, You know <clears throat> what I mean? It's far enough in, 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 in the past. Yeah, the NDP didn't get enough time in office to get that refresh. Well, that's the whole point. So you said they've only had one term in they office. Had, and yeah. I'm kind of like, was, well, and it was only four years ago. And, and this is where I feel again. It's like playing chess with the devil. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, okay, so they didn't. Yeah, right. So you're going to hold that against them? Yes. Right. Yes. <clears throat> you know. So well, because it's the um, it's the same leader, and it's largely the same candidates. They didn't really like like the you look at the like Hoffman CC yeah. the the main characters Loyola the the main characters in yeah the main characters in that cabinet are still there they didn't get a refresh of well, their well no but of that, their of their caucus so so they, they, they were de- democratically elected mm-hmm. out okay so that's yeah. that's the system right sure. Um, when it comes to... And we know how they're going to perform because we know what they did last time. Okay, let's not argue about the performance just yet. Okay. Right? So um, I would say that you know, if I'm looking at any government coming in, mm-hmm. right, I want people with experience. So Fair. I think that's... Fair. We've got an experience leader. You want to talk about dynasty? The Notley name means, means a lot in this province, right? Um, it, for I the mean, NDs, it's, that's all they the got. For the NDs, it does. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, Elves bells. Fuck, I hate getting old. Um, just on your point about having experience, this was a criticism of the NDP government while it was in office in that um, they had no experience. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I do think it did show in uh, like the, the, the number one example that comes to mind is the negotiation of the power contracts uh, in switching from coal, uh, transitioning out of the coal-fired plants into yeah. natural gas, the NDP government did get fleeced by, um, I think you could tell that they simply did not have the experience 
in government and business, and they got taken to the cleaners in by the coal industry. Yeah, yeah. I think so I, again, got, you're like, okay, they got fleeced. So, yeah. but you, it was you're, just you're, you're looking at the ND government. You're saying, okay. They're, they're damned if they do, damned no, if they don't. No, no, right? no. Because not, don't them, interpret, misinterpret them, what I'm them, saying. They wouldn't, they wouldn't get, like that's the kind of, once you've learned that lesson, you've learned that lesson. Yeah. I don't think that would happen to them again. In that they, you learn by making mistakes, right? You learn by, uh, you learn better by, uh, by doing than I guess by being told. Yeah. So I think, I don't think you would have that same issue with the NDP. Uh, if they got in again, I, just, I think they would be. I think they would be better in how they introduce legislation. Yeah. For example, their bill. I believe it was the farm bill, the farm labor bill. Oh, we know the farm labor bill. That's yeah. going to hang around their necks for a while. Yeah, and that was, I think, a real example of inexperience. Yeah. Not just inexperience in government, inexperience in life. In that, overwhelmingly, the NDP caucus was drawn from exclusively two sources: academia. And the public sector. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't have the kind of experience that you get from a caucus where you've got people from all walks of life. And that kind of hamstrung the NDP. Well, I don't think you do get it from all walks of life. When you get it from the right, typically you're getting it from either the business sector or the legal profession, right? You get, you get from <clears throat> three sectors, maybe four. You do get big business, mm-hmm. but you also get small business entrepreneurs. You also get from the legal back profession. Benches. You also get from uh, a spe- specific type. Yeah, even backbenchers, but it counts. It counts. They have a voice in caucus. Um, but not in cabinet. Doesn't matter. They still have, they're not in cabinet, but they still have that influence in caucus. And what happens in caucus dictates what happens in cabinet. No. And well, then it, the last, the, well, the, the last constituency is the small entrepreneurs who came up from the working class. And that is very prominent within UCP as represented from the oil and gas sector. So you had a bit more diversity of thought and a bit more diversity of opinion Mm -hmm. in, say, the social credit government and then the PC government on up into today. The NDP, had they had more time, had had they the chance to form a dynasty of their own, I think that would have naturally broadened. But it's just that one moment in time in 2015. I mean, again, uh, they were often called the accidental government. Nobody, nobody, nobody can look me in the eye and say in 2014, they, they predicted an NDP government. Oh, no, no, no. It was, so, a, it was a perfect <clears throat> combination of factors that came together to create that, that incredibly dynamic campaign. And the gaffes, also by Prentice, Okay, so let's. Um, it, I, was, I, it was twofold. The NDP ran a solid campaign. So I, I and I, the Conservatives were terrible. I'm going to ask. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to spew a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you not to respond to any. Of okay. Them. Okay. Uh, and in you, return, I'm going to do it. Let's make can't do it. Let's make bets. <laughs> well, here's, 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 you not, here's another thing that well, can't okay. be done. You got to put a time limit on it then. <laughs> I, I'm going to try it within. Two, three, four minutes. Okay, four All minutes. Right. Four minutes. Okay, um, should, I, should I go downstairs and get some gun tape and put it on Facebook? <laughs> or and, put a timer on here, like a chest timer. 
And the other thing is, yeah. uh, I got to collect my thoughts here. I okay. managed to get through all this stuff, yeah. right? You know, but uh, I'm going to start with what to me is a glaring irony of, of yeah. okay, let's uh, shit on the on the NDs for getting fleeced by the uh, private sector, a yeah. major industry in this province. Yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake, really? You're going to throw that at them? Yeah. Right? Why How not? is that? It's, it's, it's good for capitalism if the coal industry no. gets something out of the deal. And, and that's less government on the coal industry right so i, I find that I, I i'm actually laughing at that like okay fine great let's go with that um you're absolutely right in 2014 it was a perfect storm and you're right there the accidental mm. government and as soon as they won that government that election i was kind of like okay they need to understand that you know this is not a gimme for the next election they're gonna have a huge challenge yep because you're right so Redford came in, um, and I, I, I feel she got a bit of a short straw. On the one hand, she was corrupt as fuck. Oh, she right? was awful. Right? But, but, Man. Hey, hey, hey. can you, hang can you on, name no, 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 a, you're cutting into my four well, minutes. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, but you're can still you cutting into my four me, minutes. Uh, I'll, I'll grant you this time. A single provincial politician anywhere in any province at any time who is more corrupt than Redford? I can't. We'll come back to that. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I do, however, feel that she got the short straw to a certain extent in that mm -hmm. there was a, a, at the same time, there was a Kim, Kim Campbell factor playing into that. Like yeah, everyone was ready to hang her out to dry just because she was a woman. All right. Oh, I've okay. said it. Okay. Right. Um, Jim Prentice came in next. Yep. And he shit the bed by, by telling people they had to look in the mirror. Now, in most, at most times, I will agree with that sentiment that mm -hmm. Albertan should look in the mirror, but he he fucked up that message. He sh he should have presented that a lot better, and so he lost people. People basically said, "Who the fuck are you to say that to me?" To clarify, what do you think that message actually was? I don't know. No, no. I mean, like, what do you think? Like, if if you said, I think normally he, you might agree with it. On what terms? Would he, you he was with it? he was basically. I can't even remember, but he was basically trying to challenge Albertans, mm -hmm. which a leader should be able mm -hmm. to effectively do, right? But he he just he just pissed people off, um, and so that's how that's part of why the Tories lost the election. Um, but the other thing was the Wild Rose, and that's why we have a UCP, UCP today. Ah, right. So ah, coming in yes, coming yes. into the twenty nineteen election, I have data on that. all those things changed, right? Um, so you got a yeah. pen I could borrow? This thing's dying. Thanks, buddy. Uh, I guess I'm gonna have to. Uh, just another thing again, still across, got a minute and a half, but across the board, I just the whole mainstream media, uh, you know, you complain about things that that what I'll liberally call your side mm -hmm. does the same, right. Um, and then you, you, you want to talk about market and capitalism, stuff like that. Okay. Let's take a look at the fact. Okay. You've got the quote unquote mainstream media that you find is perpetuating this message, um, that, that you find, uh, lacks integrity, right? Um, well, let's take a look at the fact and we, we've had this conversation in other ways too. Like, you know, I keep saying, if you want to win politics as a conservative, particularly federally <laughs> in this country, Right. Well, no, it's it's like, okay, <clears throat> if your platform is distasteful to a majority of the people, you're not going to get in, 
right? Same thing. If the majority of the quote-unquote distasteful, lacking in integrity mainstream media is perpetuating a certain message, and yet it is successful media, it is, it is perpetuating that message to a willing audience, right? Which again speaks to the fact that a majority of the population wants to hear this. Right now, now we get into a chicken and egg conversation, right? But th that exists on both sides, right? So, <clears throat> you know, to, again, you know, if you want to have what most centrists are considered extreme policies, then that's great. You, 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 you get 11 out of 10 for integrity, for, for perpetuating your message. But if it's a message not everyone wants to hear, then okay. good luck with that. I'll, I'll go to the low-hanging fruit first. Uh, you were talking about how the Wild Rose was a factor in 2015. Absolutely. In 2015, in the election, the NDP got 40.62% of the vote, 54 seats. Mm -hmm. The Wild Rose and the P the Wild Rose got 24.22%. The PCs got 27.79% for a total of 52.01%. Yeah. So the, there was that was vote splitting was absolutely a factor yeah. in that election where in terms of popular vote you had the progressive vote at 40% and then you had a 52% on the conservative side just to put it into two broad counts. Well, yeah. So yeah, that was absolutely a factor and that's something that I think should be considered even in this in this time period of let's say, a resurgence of the NDP and uh, consolidation of the progressive vote under the, the orange banner, um, I have not seen the evidence. One, although the progressive vote is growing in the urban centers, I'm still not prepared to say it's as tight as the media commonly portrays it. Now, as for going to the coal industry fleecing the NDP government, okay, don't, don't misrepresent what I'm saying. The coal industry or any industry that's negotiating with the government is going to uh, emphatically pursue its own self-interest. It doesn't matter who is in government. It could have the most pro-business, pro-business-friendly, uh, uh, capitalist-friendly government on the spectrum and whatever industry, be it the auto industry, the coal industry, um, uh, the, the internet, uh, telecommunications, whoever, they're going to viciously pursue an, uh, their own interests as, as, as emphatically as they can. Okay, So that is, is a given. I am not celebrating that as saying that, yeah, stick it to the NDP. I'm just saying that that was, um, they were, they didn't have, the acumen or the experience, they were kind of coming into those negotiations. Um, maybe they got a little blindsided. Mm -hmm. You know, they were, they didn't realize what, they hadn't had any experience in doing that. And so that, I think, was an example of a mistake that was made just out of inexperience. And it could have happened to anybody. It didn't happen to them because they were the NDP. It happened to them because they were new to the business of government. And any experience. It could, it could just as easily have happened to the Lockheed Tories in 1972-1973 when they were brand new, had never been in government before, and if we look back in history, probably did. Because that was one of the things uh, that Lockheed used 
to outflank um, the Socreds. Uh, the Socreds. Uh, it wasn't Manning. Manning had stepped down, and they had a new guy who had a Scandinavian last name, and he was duller in ditch water. And that's why kind of Lougheed, with his new dynamism, talking about revitalizing the oil and gas industry. Um, I can't remember his name. But anyway, Lougheed came in promising to completely, you know, renegotiate everything and really get oil and gas to work for Albertans. I have no doubt that the, those early PCs probably got fleeced by the oil companies in that early round of negotiations for the exact same reason. So as, as for the look in the mirror comment, the way I interpreted that was he was saying that, look, we can't live beyond our means. We, we as a province got used to the flush cash of high energy royalties, mm-hmm. inflating our budget. So we had lots of money to spend on anything we wanted. Mm-hmm. And now that the oil price has gone down, now we've got to tighten our belts a little bit. We can't have the same sense of entitlement that we did before. I, I, I agree. I think that's you, I think you're that's right. What that's what he wanted. That's to what say. the message. But oh yeah, it was so poorly articulated. Yeah, it was and, poorly done. And, oh, yeah. and I would say actually, so actually, Klein set him up for failure in that way because Klein had mm-hmm. the big budget, and he kind of said to everyone, "Okay, here's your four hundred bucks or seven hundred yeah. bucks or whatever it was." Right? Yeah, Klein bucks. Um, so yeah, and the time wasn't right because. What do you yeah. mean it wasn't right? It, it should have been right, but you know we can't be self entitled, right? I oh, mean, that yeah, is yeah, that yeah. is a yeah. that is a message that people need to hear. Yeah, that we need. But they did not pull it off. People, no, would, he people certainly did didn't. not want he to certainly hear it, right? And so. and I think the the Notley skillfully, uh, very very skillfully, exploited that mm-hmm. uh, because it came across as an insult to people when you know it it had it been better articulated. Well, I, it I, might I have think come across especially coming off coming off the corruption of the Red, oh, Red yeah. years. This is true. Right? This is very you true. Know. So that I think yeah. that was the kicker. Everyone's yeah. like, really? That's yeah. what you, that's it's like that's what you're going with. Yeah, it's like, okay, we've got fat and sassy at the trough for years, but now, now that our bed's made, now we gotta tighten our belts, people. You're like, yeah, right. And um, yeah, it was bad timing. Coming back to one of the other things you said about you know the NDs and, and mm. being subservient to the National Party, I, yeah. I don't see that. And and say what you will about the other things that Notley did when she was in office, but when she was in office, that's when um, the Drowns Mountain mm-hmm. um, became a big deal, mm-hmm. right? And I I was quite happy to see that she actually, in my opinion, stood up for Alberta. She stood up to the federal government. She stood up to the BC NDP. And she put through a piece of legislation, which I was very happy to see, and that, that the UCP hasn't even used since mm. then, which was to say, fuck you, BC. Like, in other words, shut off exports right? to the Burnaby refineries. Because, because that was one of the uh, things that really pissed me off about The NDP never enacted it. They, they didn't enact they, it. They passed they, it. They put it in place, <clears throat> yes. but they never used it. But, and nor has the UCP. Well, it's true. So, it, so what's the point? It's there to be used, right? So okay, but it's it's an empty threat. No, it's an empty threat. Unless you're actually going to do it, it's an empty threat. And both parties have shown they're not going to do that. And and to be honest, I can sort of see why it is pretty drastic stuff. But I think the on that point, um, the whole pipeline issue is a bit of, and I and I think that's why it hasn't been really a factor in this campaign. Mm-hmm is that neither party can really do anything about it. 
they each have their own approach, whereas the, the NDP tried the social license approach, saying that if we are if we demonstrate to the federal government and the rest of Canada that we're going to play along with them in all of their other policies, they'll let us have this. That showed not to be true. The Kenny Conservatives said, we're going to go to war. We're going to take a very combative approach with the federal government, but we're not actually, like, we won't do anything beyond rhetoric. Mm -hmm. We'll just talk really angrily. And we'll try and win a PR blitz, like with the whole war room and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Well, that didn't work either. So I think neither party is really willing to make a lot of promises in terms of increasing access of Alberta's industries to market. Because I think they both know that unless we're prepared to actually take steps in the separatist direction, mm -hmm. there's very little we can do. No, I agree. Um, I, I think at the time, you asked, what's the point? I think... The whole point of putting forward that bill, whatever it was called. Um, or it wasn't, I don't think it was a bill. I think it was an executive measure because okay. it was about export permits. So the whole reason for like doing that. denying permits to just, use the pipeline. Just putting it out there and, and saying, mm -hmm. this is a tool that we could use, sent a message on its own. Sent a message to BC, yeah. sent a message to the feds, right? And that's where it ended, right? No one really wanted to do it, but it's yeah, saying, they, okay. They so, weren't, they, I think we blinked. Alberta as a whole blinked. And we have since then, right? Yeah. But the, the mean, other even, thing even is... Even then, I think BC kind of said, okay, you do it. You try it. You try it and you see what happens. Uh, I can't remember what we got out of it. I remember BC squawking about it. But yeah. I was, it as, an Albertan, angry, yeah. as an Albertan, if, if it was a UCP government that enacted that, I mm -hmm. would have been just as happy. Like, mm -hmm. I'm probably the only left-leaning yeah. separatist in this province, right? But, right? but I have some serious issues with our relationship with the federal government. Yeah. And we've been down that road before. Uh, we've talked about okay, let's let's all build a port on Hudson's Bay and have the three prairie provinces work together. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> da -da 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 -da. But I think one of the reasons. Can, can I can I address your your last point? Okay. What I want to clarify when we talk about media is yeah. yes, there there absolutely is right wing media in the legacy space. Mm -hmm. It's about disproportional impact. Eighty percent of the traffic is skewed towards the progressive bent. They control the megaphones. In addition to that, there is the domination in the information space within academia and big tech. Search engine manipulation effect is like you don't see progressive parties complaining that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are censoring them. This is all one way traffic coming out of that. Um, so that's why in my point, is that conservatives aren't so, um, I can't say this yet. It may be, we may be seeing the emergence of conservatives saying, we're not going to complain about that anymore. We're going to simply cede the legacy information space. We're not going to contest that anymore. It's a waste of our time. Mm -hmm. We're going to put all of our eggs in the basket of new media using, inter uh, not allowing the media conglomerates of, say, CBC, CTV, uh, Post Media, Chorus Network, not allowing them to be gatekeepers between us and the public. You talked about if your message is so distasteful that people don't vote for it, mm -hmm. our response is that we can't 
get our message to the people because those media gatekeepers have deliberately distorted it to make it distasteful. And that polls have shown that when we are able to scrub party affiliation away from it, that our bread and butter ideas such as law and order, uh, safer communities, lower taxes, greater personal autonomy, smaller government, those poll really well amongst individual people without party affiliation attached. So we know that our message will resonate. Mm -hmm. It's just we can't get our message through the media without them deliberately distorting it to degrade it. So if we can use new media to bypass those gatekeepers, will that have an effect? And because of this individual campaign, how the Smith conservatives have made aggressive use of new media, this is the first, I think, test case we're going to see of that, of that strategy. Uh, something I, I mentioned to Steve offline was it may also um, inform how Bill C-11, now that it's passed, is implemented. It, uh, if... Let's say we get a resounding conservative victory. Mm -hmm. Let's say we do. Let's say upwards of 60 seats. Mm -hmm. Then I think we're going to see very concrete and rapid moves by the CRTC to control the new media space because they don't want that happening on the federal level. They do not want to see Polyevre adopting those same methods. That would be a disaster for the federal liberals. So I think that is one thing that the rest of the country will absolutely be looking at this election in terms of strategy and techniques for following campaigns. Yeah, I, I, I want to, uh, just one thing. What? Re what? Regarding what? the use who of the hell are you again? <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> just the guy who, who records you know, the thing. And runs this thing. <laughs> you know, the guy in charge. The technician is talking. The technician, yeah. That's basically it. But, um, so, because I... I guess I probably, I'll say I probably adopted the cynical, lazy mm -hmm. attitude regarding this election. I don't, you know, I'm generally a conservative person, but I don't like Daniel Smith. I don't trust her because of... The she, floor crossing? Because of the floor crossing. Well, if she would have held mm -hmm. out one more election, she would have had it. But She might have. She might have. They came real close. That's, that is my view, anyway, that she would have yeah. had it. So I don't, I don't trust her because of the floor crossing. I don't like uh, Rachel Notley either. And so I've, I've been cynical and, and intellectually lazy, and I've just been trying to avoid at all costs election mm -hmm. coverage. Right. The conservatives have not been able to penetrate that. The NDP have. On, on places, on new yeah. media, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't watch legacy media at all. Mm -hmm. I don't. Like, yeah, I, same here. I, don't, I, I see no value in it. I, I, you know, I have like one show I watch, on, two shows I watch on cable, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's it. I don't watch cable. I don't watch news on, mm -hmm. on broadcast television. Uh, I get news either by reading or, or yeah. So I've been avoiding political coverage on YouTube specifically, and um, there's not really it doesn't really come up my Spotify feed. But anyway, I pay for Spotify Premium because I need to download, and yeah. I didn't want commercials. Well, I yeah. still get freaking commercials, and every single one of them is NDP. Yeah. In oh the, yes. In yes. The, in the last two weeks, every commercial in my spot on my Spotify podcast feed. Has been an NDP ad. There has not. Yeah. There's been no ads for anything else. Yeah. Oh, they're in some sort of activity on your part. 
Well, also, uh, well, subconsciously, Steve, they know that because I listen to Blocked and Reported or Honestly yeah. with Barry Weiss or something or, like that. Yeah, or, they know right? that you're interested in political items. Yeah. So their ad, uh, their advertising yeah. partner, which is political based, yeah. is going to and then, hit you. And then also in in uh, on YouTube. Where I using a YouTube app as opposed to uh, uh, yeah. an ad blocker. Uh, also, I'm getting yeah. back to back NDP ads, um, along with the other junk science ads that you all Which, see on YouTube. But okay, but now if, if I could give you a counter to that, but I haven't seen any conservative stuff. Like the conservatives have not penetrated that market space, so I don't like. They I'm haven't... interested in politics. I listen to a lot of right wing. I listen yeah. to more right wing oh, yeah. podcasts than I do left wing sure. podcasts. So how come I'm not getting a conservative well, ad? It in might NDP? be because it might I don't be your think libertarianism overlaps. Or conflicts with your traditional. I listen to basically two openly libertarian podcasts. Mm. That is uh, the Fifth Column and the, yeah. the Reason Roundtable. Well, three if you count yeah. the, the Reason Interview. Went on. Uh, I listen to more conservative podcasts. I listen to leftist podcasts. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I listen because I listen to like a couple National Review podcasts. I listen to Dispatch mm-hmm. podcasts. I listen to Commentary podcast every day because they yep. they put it out every day. Yep. Right. All very conservative outlets. Uh, blocked and reported comes out like once every two yeah. weeks, uh, and honestly, um, with Barry Weiss, sure. that that comes out like once a week. Um, but I listened to one New York Times podcast that uh, was it an old podcast uh, that they used to do called The Argument, and they came mm-hmm. a new one called The Opinion that just came out. But I didn't really like it. But your algorithms mm-hmm. are not neutral. No. They are going to weigh heavily to whoever is paying for advertising. Sure. And the NDP has spent no. gigabucks. Yeah, no, you know, that, 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 that's my assertion is, right? is, is that the NDP now, has penetrated that space much better than the Conservative Party. Let me give you a counter argument. You still knew that there is the UCP has asked Alberta elections to conduct an investigation into NDP campaign funding saying that the labor unions are have funneled yeah. illegal well, money and, into the NDP to pay and, for the And I noticed right? I noticed that changed throughout the campaign. But you knew that. Yeah. Even though even though I think I knew it because you shared it with me. But you right? knew about it beforehand. Because I remember you said that. I shared it with you and you said, yeah, you'd heard about that. So mm-hmm. even though it's not overt, you're still getting traffic into yeah. you. Yeah, right? but so here, this, if I recall, my response to that was, mm-hmm. you know what? Was what aboutism? Was, yes, integrity and accountability should be the norm. Should be. Right? And so the, the problem I have with <clears throat> what I lament about the, uh, the refutation of... Mm-hmm mainstream media and the whole fake news concept first of all fake news is such a narcissistic gaslighting concept it pisses me off right it's so obvious and you can thank hillary clinton for it yep uh okay let's save that <laughs> for another episode right I, I, I she, don't know yeah, how sure she, i'm sure she regrets unleashing that one on yeah. the world but yeah, yeah. she created it but, but i it, gotta it, say that yeah, trump, trump trump really took it, really took took it. it. yeah um, really it was a gift. It was a yeah. It was. But I've seen this for a few years. And I, I can't remember when I first started noticing this, right? But the whole point of politics these days, left and mm-hmm. right, is there is no accountability. It's all about perception and making sure nothing sticks to us, right? A lot of it. So, so when I hear you say, "Okay, unions, uh, illegal funding, and funneling, yep. and stuff like that," 
right? I'm, I'm just like, great, right? It would be nice if someone, you know, and everyone's going after Trudeau as they should mm-hmm. for a whole bunch of issues, yep. right? But I see everyone on the right doing the same thing, just like, sidestepping accountability for like anything. What? It's like, let's, let's make sure nothing's sick. Yeah, but us. that's not really the point. The point is that uh, anytime there were, there were ethics allegations against Smith and Kenny, mm-hmm. immediately Elections Alberta launched into it. And for example, there were, there were, uh, there were po- people who pointed out it was not a coincidence that Elections Alberta re- or the Ethics Commissioner released their report right before the debate. A lot of people said, no, that's not coincidence. Yet when the UCP says, hey, Elections Alberta, we need you to look into this. All of a sudden now there's foot dragging. And it, the, the concern on the conservative side of the fence mm-hmm. is that the regulatory agencies are not being unbiased. In this that, they part, were, I, that they were deliberately favoring I the party that is going to probably line their pockets more. Uh, if you elected. know what? Again, and this just this just speaks to my point, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. You know, <clears throat> if I bring up accountability on the mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. it's 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 like what George Schultz said about terrorism back in the day. There's no such thing, you know. Uh, uh, there's no such thing as one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. How? Right? How? I hang, don't on, see hang, on, hang on, I don't see hang on, hang on, hang on. Well, let me finish my fucking thought for a second. <laughs> well, okay. All right. George Schultz said uh-huh. this. One man's terrorist. Okay. He refuted that whole concept, and then he went on to say, in the next sentence, except the Contras, they're freedom fighters. <laughs> right. So what a, again, you're totally so, misrepresenting. What I hear, totally misrepresent. Hear what I'm what I'm hearing you say uh-huh. because this is my concern. Okay. I'm saying, okay. listen, okay. you want to hold the left accountable? Great. Okay. Yeah. Then hold your fucking selves accountable. And what I hear your response is, how have you re- not? Your response is, well, you know what? Uh, you know, people. You know, there's nothing to hold accountable. In fact, the people who are trying to hold them accountable are, are actually suspects. No, no. Right? You're you're totally you're totally misrepresenting me. No, totally that, and completely. I, I'm not. I'm not deliberately misrepresenting. I'm telling you what I. No, hear. I'm saying you're totally misrepresenting me. I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but this you're is, totally misrepresenting. This is what I heard. When there are ethics allegations, yeah, they were immediately investigated against both Kennedy and Smith, and rightly so. That is not in dispute. They are the ethics commissioner and elections Alberta are looking into any matters that come before them. As so they should. My concern is that they only want to look into one side of the spectrum. That when it's an allegation against a conservative leader, they're on it. And so they should. But when it's an allegation against the NDP, it's like, well, let's wait till after the election. I, you know what? I, I... That's my problem. I am going to look into this specific issue because, I, because I'm very curious. I, I find it hard to believe that elections Alberta would be farther left than they would be farther right. If anything, I would expect them to bias to the right. They're part of the public sector. Yeah, I know. I know the evil public sector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not evil, but certainly self-interested. certainly self-interested and they know who's going to butter their bread yeah the the people with all the money the right no the capitalists (sighs) oh my god 
when you I didn't see, one of the things you sent the you sent a story out um, uh-huh. it was probably actually about this mm-hmm. and um, and I learned something from that story when it was which it was that the public sector unions mm-hmm. automatically because of the NDP constitution if members of certain yes. public sector unions or leadership of certain public sector unions automatically have leadership positions within the NDP yes. party yes just because they it's part of the party constitution point of order yeah. Mr. Yeah. Chairman NDP party is redundant you're right. This is true. This Depart- is true. Uh, welcome. The Hello. New, the My new name Democrats. is Steve. I'm from the Department of Redundancy <laughs> Department. <laughs> yes, it's true. Uh, uh, as part of uh, the new Democrats Constitution, organized labor has uh, specifically within the, the AFL mm-hmm. and the public sector unions have seats or have representation on the, the board. That's not necessarily like the elected representatives, but in, say, policy conventions. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely have a problem with that, especially like not so much with private labor unions, but certainly with public sector unions mm-hmm. having leadership in automatically having positions within leadership in one party. I mean, like I don't have a problem with it. I think they are certainly allowed to pursue their own self-interest. I just think it would be better if that was more widely known. In the sure, election. but I, I have a problem with look as as individuals. Join what party you want. Mm-hmm. Run for office in what party you yeah. want. Do whatever. Oh my lord! But it's like when you become, we are the provincial employees' unions. Yep. And we have fealty, I guess, to this yes. one party, right? Yes. Like, that ain't good, right? Well, well, like public well, sector is- employees need. I, I feel like something with lot. I mean, in in the perfect world, public sector employees. Normally, I don't get Trent this riled up. <laughs> oh, I've, I've, wait, 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 just wait. Normally, you're not saying anything, so I mean, let's. And, so, and, but, but yeah, I just, I, I have a real problem with them, in individual, jeez, oh, I have a hard time articulating this. Like I said, as individuals, join what party you want, support what party you want, whatever. Thank you. But as in creating your institution, yeah. your representative institution, and then that institution, because civil servants are supposed to at least maintain an air of impartiality. Impartiality, right? Yeah. The right. civil service is supposed to be impartial and serve whichever government gets right. elected, whether they like it or not. Right. This throws that right out the window. It's kind of does. It creates conflict of interest. You know, yes. so it's good. In, like you said, if everybody knew, that would be better. You know, at least, you know, the light of day, if everybody knew that, that if I repeat myself. So but. I, in, in a kind of a bit of undercover work, I used to cultivate a lot of friendships within the provincial NDP, which uh, now that they, they found out in the last about three years that I was actually a conservative and they have, I am now canceled. I mm-hmm. know persona non grata. They won't talk to me. But I knew from them that uh, the the labor unions will actively recruit political candidates for the NDP mm-hmm. within their locals. Right. Uh, the uh, the the big um, the big four AUPE, uh, the Health Sciences Union, basically the support health, hospital support workers. Yeah. Teachers union, nurses union. Right. In the big four, they will recruit. Um, people uh, to run as candidates for the NDP. Now, it's not the NDP doing this. It's the unions that do this. Right. 
saying that, you know, we're going to recruit you, you should run for the NDP. They will hold seminars where they will train not just candidates, but they'll train people on how to be campaign managers. They will train people on how to be uh, press, how would you say, um, write press releases, to do all of the, the background work in a campaign office. So they don't just recruit and train candidates. They're recruiting and training infrastructure. Exactly. Okay. And this is all paid. Hold on. Let me finish. Uh, He's he's Uh, going to blow. Like he's almost, he's turning red here. They they are actively recruiting the entire, yeah, campaign infrastructure for the NDP. Yeah. And you can make a very strong argument that the NDP is the political wing of those four unions. Right. In the same way that Sinn Féin is the political wing of the IRA. Oh my God. You didn't just go there. I did. Oh. Sir, the floor is yours. No, here, here, here. Before, why are you got sorry, your thoughts? I, Let me close it with this one statement. He's got to poke I, you one more time. Because, I don't because have, it can't get any on. worse than that. I don't have a problem with this. I don't have a problem with this. These public sector folks should be allowed to advocate for their own self-interest no matter how nakedly and rapaciously they do it it, they should still be allowed to do that there's absolutely nothing wrong in my view with what they are doing it's just that i think everyone should know about it yeah then like put it above board and and it's all good okay okay the floor is yours oh my god Sinn Fein I already you went there oh I I, well I'm not saying that the NDP is a terrorist organization or that the unions are terrorist organizations. Yeah. Or, or that one but is a military are, wing and one is a political wing. Yeah. That one is, uh, say, the business wing, the money-making wing, and they have a political wing. In the same way that... Um, it's just, I can't... We usually use those terms like um, in, in with... Uh, well, the IRA is a political organization in 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 itself, right? Yeah, but it follows right? a Klaus Wittian model, which yeah. is okay, politi- politics by force. Or, right? or you could say that the UFA was the political wing of an agricultural lobby, sure. right? So, so fair enough. It's just that uh, most people don't really know what UFA is or was. To them, it's a retail outlet. To me, it's something on the side of grain silos throughout yeah. the province. Yeah, it's a retail outlet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which actually, actually, interesting piece of trivia, it actually is the old political party. It transformed itself yeah. uh, in the 1930s into a retail outlet. Into a wholesale distribution retail. Yes, yes, exactly. It is an, a, the, the same organization. But wow. people readily understand that, like, every observer readily understands that the Sinn Féin is a political wing of a different organization. Yeah. And that's, that's my key point in the analogy. Okay. Not that the NDP <clears throat> is going to start blowing up Protestant pubs. No, in the, Castle the unions are going to start blowing up. Yeah, the unions will start blowing up Protestant pubs. But only Protestant pubs. Yeah, or, you know, whatever. Uh, well, it's maybe gonna Catholics, be... they are unionists. <laughs> uh, 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 so oh, it'll be, very clever. Very the oil clever. companies will start blowing up the Catholic pubs. So. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, my, my response to both of you was just kind of generically. I mean, why, why is this an issue? I'm glad that you said, Patty. That you know you don't have a problem with it. No. because th- to me there you is should be allowed to advocate there for their is own an interest, right? Yeah. Because and and I get that there there is at a certain level a conflict of interest that in, in their performance on the professional right. level on the right? as as the executive branch, right? 
Because, yes, they need to be neutral as bureaucrats to whichever government yeah. is in power. Yep. Right? They should. They should. But, I mean, this is the whole... I mean, the, the whole reason for them banding together as bureaucrats into a union mm-hmm. is for collective bargaining purposes. And, and that's... And the self-interest. Party, and the party of that... Well, yeah, they see their yeah. self-interest in that. And the party of that, but, well, of that conceptually... Is the new Democrat? I want to. I want right? to say that I will. I will admit uh, that this is a place. Uh, I guess of hypocrisy of my own personal hypocrisy. It's it's a place of my failing as a doctrinaire libertarian. Because the libertarian view is that corporations, institutions, are just made up of people. Are just are just groups of people. Acting with a common purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So therefore, they should have the same rights as, as any person because they're just people, right? Mm-hmm. In my heart of hearts, I I don't have a problem within a democracy, um, like limiting the rights of government workers because nobody held a gun to their head and made them take a government job. What do you mean limiting the rights? I'm very concerned when anyone starts to talk about limiting rights. Well, you're, you're right. You're right to be. This is why I should never be in charge of anything. <laughs> <laughs> Other than this podcast. Okay. Well, okay I'm not really in charge on, of this podcast. Go on. Go on. Like, Steve's flesh, in charge of the podcast, the folks. We're good with that. Yeah. <laughs> flesh out the thought. The, the thought is that I think with, within a representative democracy, mm-hmm. it is not correct or not fair. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just my, my, my warped sense of fairness. For the public sector to advocate mm-hmm. in its own interests, because it's, it's interest it can be done at the expense of the broader public. Yes, and its interests are supposed to be the interests of the broader public. It's not supposed to have a separate interest from the broader public. Ah, but it does. But it does. But it well, does. of course it does, because they're individuals, and and again, and but they're, they're human <clears throat> beings. But this is the important thing, right? As I said. They need to be able to distinguish between their own self-interest as people who are earning a wage or a salary in return for labor, right? That's that's the one thing. That's collective bargaining and the nature of the labor they are performing in return for a wage or, or salary, right? Which is as bureaucrats uh, that are supposed to be impartial. You guys right? are asking a lot. Like you it. are right. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, no, but, it's, a, it's a utopian vision. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm yeah. not gonna deny that. But, yeah. but this is, you know, this is one, one of at least my one, if not two, counterpoints. And, and, and I, is, I just, I want to reiterate, like this yeah. is, this is, this is my personal hypocrisy, and yeah. and that I shouldn't be put in charge of anything because of this. <laughs> it, should, it should be disqualifying me from like stuff. So I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm well, not saying it's a good thing. It's just, it's, it's a thing that really grates on me. Well, as an aside, I think you know one of the things, one of the themes of all the conversations we have, and I, and this is why I particularly enjoy having being able yeah. to have these conversations with you too. Right. Is, well, maybe Steve is because <laughs> well, no, I never talk. Well, no, because it, it's uh, that you know idealism yeah. leads to paradox, right? It's yeah. how you navigate those paradoxes, mm. right? So you you just hit on one of them, you know. So I mean, you and I. Steve, we agree on a lot of things. You and I, Pat, we agree on a lot of we things. It's, it's just like well, okay, you know, how we navigate these things. But uh, uh, okay. I, this is one of the things I've been wanting to push back with is like, really? Okay, great. You know, how many uh, political boards of, you know, on the right-hand side of the aisle of, of the UPC are filled up with business interests, are filled up with, uh, you know, businessmen? Plenty. Uh, you know, 
planet. It, it's like, but it's, really? Again, like, it's how, a disproportionate there... impact, right? Because like, no, you mentioned that, yeah, they want to, like their primary goal is collective bargaining. Yeah. I'd say, no, no, that's only part of it. That's not their primary goal. The primary goal is control of the political process. In that, for example, look how the ATA or the teachers union seeks to control curriculum for the use of indoctrination. Ugh. You may, hey, hey, dude, just because you, you may not agree with it, but on my side of the fence, we see it as a very real and pressing thing. Or how Elections Alberta, we think Elections Alberta is deliberately dragging their feet in investigating the potential of, of illegal campaign funding. We're not, again, like the point is, we're not disdaining their investigation of our side of the fence. In fact, it's good because it, it forces us to be squeaky clean. If we know that we are going to get leapt on the second somebody goes outside the painted lines, then that's good because it keeps us honest. I do not but believe for a minute that the right is squeaky sides. clean. Well, that's it never fine. Has been. That's fine. That's good. And, and if we get investigated every single time, that's good. It's not about, Drag it's the wrongdoers into the sunlight. It's not about what you get caught at. It's what you're getting away with in the meantime. No. I'm irrelevant. If we're, if we're doing something wrong, we should be prosecuted. 100% full stop. End of statement. If we are breaking the rules, if we are breaking the spirit of the rules, we should be held accountable. You heard it, folks. Okay, but Patty so and I should agree the left. on something. But yeah. so and, and should I'm saying the exact the same. Left. I'm saying the exact same thing to you. And from the, other the public sector unions do not seem to share that convention. Uh, if I and, to and, them, and, and, it seems that <laughs> they are willing to look the other way in defense of their self interests Okay, I've been in response to that. Okay, so for you. The, the, the broad umbrella of public sector unions, that's your boogeyman. For me, I've got the same boogeyman with a different name, and that's sure. capitalists. Well, you know? the, the big difference, though, is capture and regulatory capture. You can choose what companies you do business with. A big capitalist, big evil no, capitalist, you'd say, yeah, sure you can. No, say, I, I can't. I'm not going to buy from that guy if I don't want to. Fuck, no. The, the CRTC just let, uh, who was it, Rogers buy out uh, Shaw. Okay. I don't get a choice in that. Yeah. And so, so now I've got I've got I'm Bell, sorry, I've who got did this? Shaw and I'm sorry, who did this? Government regulation. Oh. I thought capitalism was the problem. Oh yeah. Do you hear Rogers complaining? No, of course not. No. But because do you hear the do you hear the government regulator that caused this problem? But even then, you don't have to get a cell phone okay, let's, with those guys. Oh come on. You, you can get a cell phone with another provider. Okay, let's take okay. that a step further. Can I choose what school board I work with? No. I have to deal with a teacher in the ATA. Whether I like, I have no choice. I have no choice. In no, I don't know. It seems to be there's plenty of religious government, and no, private schools. It's still, it's still run by the ATA. And, and if, if we said, okay, if we said, okay, we are going to fund non like, uh, say, private schools, which don't have to have ATA teachers. If we were going to fund those 100% of the way we fund people in the public and the Catholic boards, that would be fair. But who fights that every step of the way and prevents, prevents, and like, as soon as the conservatives try and increase funding in private schools, who fights with every tooth and nail and brings their massive financial resources to the board? The teachers union. You think the NDP 
is going to is going to protect private school funding or school choice or charter schools? Hell no. Or something as radical as backpack funding? Yeah, see? Or uh, allow uh, kids to leave catchment areas? I mean, this is part of the issue. It's not these unions aren't just about collective bargaining and increasing the bottom line for their members. It's as the welfare state has grown and the scope of government has grown over the last 40 years, um, the public sector is now something like 30, over 30% of our GDP. It controls the commanding heights of the economy. So who controls the public sector controls the state. It's an interesting use of, the, of a percentage of GDP. That's implying that they're creating wealth, which I question. No, it's, uh, it's consumption. Consumption, consumption of, of GDP. 30% of our GDP. Yeah, is wrapped up in government. Government creates no wealth. I mean, it's people with jobs, right? It's people with jobs, but they don't create wealth. If you yeah, are, all, the, all those salaries come from wealth yeah, created by other people. Confiscated from other people. No, there are only but three. But it's true. It's true. It's, it's true. It's an undeniable fact. Yeah, yeah this the is The government not, has no money without taxpayers. Yeah, this is not a matter of debate, right? Uh, there are only three things that create wealth. Agriculture, manufacturing, resources. That's it. That is it. There's nothing else that creates wealth. You could maybe argue that the tech sector is coming into, is, is evolving into something that might be able to create wealth. But as it stands right now, the products of tech are simply used to facilitate the activities in agricultural, uh, in agriculture, uh, manufacturing and resources. Or it's a manufacturing sector of itself. Or you can, you can argue that service yeah. creates wealth. That's another thing. Except, well, no, service is in the service of those three branches that... Say you have a company, a business services company, or say accounting. Mm -hmm. You're, what are you servicing? What money are you counting without those three? You know what I mean? Service industries cannot exist without the big three. Everything comes down to the big three. No, I, well. Everything else consumes the wealth created by the big three. So, anyway, that's... Like, look at I think to better articulate your point, look at truck, instead of accounting, look at trucking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Transportation. Transportation yep. doesn't do anything without those three. Yeah, exactly. Like there's nothing to transport. Yeah, there's nothing to transport. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, right. let's... And, and, and as we always say, or as truckers we? like always yep. to say, truckers always truck everything. Everything comes on a truck. So, so. as for the uh, the oh. campaign itself, I, I think someone needs... Do you need a comfort Oh, drink? you need a break? All right. We'll pause. All right. Come back in a second. And we're back. Okay. But before anybody starts, I want to push back on something Trent said. Okay. Uh -oh. uh, <laughs> his boogeyman that he was talking about, the... Uh, the uh, capitalist. The capitalist lobbyist, evil capitalist yep. lobbyist. Uh, and the reason I push, I push back is in my... I guess more of a pushback is just my expressing my own view of the situation. Is that since we live in a capitalist society, kind of, mm -hmm. more regulation than the... You By and large, yeah, ex externality capitalism, yeah. I guess you could call it. My, my view, the role of the government is pretty much just to provide infrastructure to support individuals and, co and corporations to pursue their interests, right? So it, from my point of view, a business lobbying government is much more proper 
than a government employee lobbying government to me. Because the purpose of the government employee, in my view, is is to just serve, serve yep. to provide that infrastructure. Provide law and order or rule of law, yeah. enforcement of contracts, and... And concrete things like roads and... and keep and, the garbage and, off the streets. And keep, yep. keep the garbage off the streets and the power yep. and the power line and all that stuff, yep. right? That's the proper role of government. To, to provide that foundation for everybody else not in government to pursue their interests and grow the economy and... Or just get and, the hell out and, of the way. And grow wealth. Yeah. Right? But so that's not our view, current view of government and what government should do. Yeah. We now live in an age where we see government as a solver of social problems. Yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of a like like uh, that's why I, I kind of have a view of the uh, of, or sympathetic to the viewpoint of of, of, of its proper. When civil servant sticks his head out of his hole, you're supposed to punch him back down and say, "Get back, <laughs> get, get back, back to work, get back, and shut up, shut up, and get back to work." Right, and that and to me. For emotionally to me, that seems appropriate, but even if it isn't legally or morally appropriate. but uh. I would say that the average member of one of those four unions would probably disagree. <laughs> it, it is probably, it is probable that we, we get an argument. I sure, don't yeah. want to come, I don't want to go out on a limb here, <laughs> but I think they might have a different view. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, I, I so agree with you. But my, like I said, my thing, my thing is like you can when you punch the civil servant down, you say you don't like it. There's lots of jobs in the private right. sector you can go get, and then I can't right. do this to you anymore. Right, right. Nobody held a gun to your head. I mean, you wanted the pension, you wanted the job security. That's fine. The cost is shut the fuck up and do your job. Well, I don't. I, don't, <coughs> I disagree with that. Now, it's I mean, not the way the system works, and it's probably like I say, yeah, it's, it's probably not, yeah, a moral saying, failing on my you're part. You're talking about an ideal, not the reality. Well, it wouldn't yeah. be an ideal for government workers, but no, it sure wouldn't. <laughs> Well, I, I see individual public sector workers having no fewer rights to a pension and job security and, and a decent wage uh, than anyone outside of that. But like I said, I'm, there, not, I'm a- not saying they should be underpaid, right? You know, or, or anything like that, or that, you know. Although that was the prevailing view in the 1950s. That they were underpaid? Yes. Perhaps. And they, they were deliberately, the, the public sector traditionally, made, uh, you know what, even probably pre-1970, um, although it began to change in the 1960s. The view prior to that was that the public sector was deliberately paid somewhat less than the private mm-hmm. because they had the guaranteed job, they had the... The, the um, pension plan. Or, or that was even before pension plans. Right. Pension plans really weren't a reality uh, until after 65 and the oh, okay. Quiet Revolution. But like they had that guaranteed job. Right. Whereas the private sector was, was uh, you did not have a guarantee of employment. The private sector is what it always has been. Right. So then the public sector was paid somewhat less in return for better working conditions, like say better benefits, mm-hmm. better holidays, and the guarantee of employment. Right. But of course that changed, you know, after, you know, quiet revolution and so on and so forth. So anyway. I think when it, when it comes to me and, and the public sector, it's, as I just said, I don't have a problem with them as individuals trying to get the best yeah. collective bargaining yeah. for themselves. To me, that's within or without the public sector, that's, that's acceptable. Yeah. They do have a conflict of interest to, to a certain extent. When you talk about getting them to put their 
and keep their heads down and shut the fuck up or, or whatever. It, my two issues with the public sector, and this also ties into big, big government, right? Um, generally, I, I see inefficiencies, and we've seen that at the mm -hmm. military level as well when oh. it comes to budgeting for yeah. units, right? Yeah. Same kind of concept all around, right? I, I see there's a lot of scope for improved efficiencies you know, within any bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. The other concept is, and we've discussed this before as well, is <clears throat> the quote-unquote public service concept, mm -hmm. right? I find it's, it's actually all the bureaucratic procedures are put in place to deny service. Oh, yeah. It's a method of rationing. Yeah. And so I have a serious problem with that because basically they're, they're trying to weed out the people who quote unquote aren't deserving right and to me this this falls under the libertarian concepts that you guys keep bringing up it's like listen you can't assume by default your default position cannot be that no one deserves this that it, everyone's trying to work the system right it should be the other way around right everyone who deserves whatever service it is you're put in place to provide should be getting that service and you, your job is to provide it and then weed out the people who aren't uh, who are not do who are working the system but right? isn't that kind of what you just said those bureaucratic filters are put in place for that's right and i'm saying that's wrong that's not how it should be right and i've i've experienced it but and I, and I think i've described it how how else do you do it how 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 else would I mean you need can I, can a I use, way of can I use the example you know, I don't know if I've, I've said this right when when my wife and I uh, she got pregnant for the first time right she had a miscarriage yeah we ended up in hospital she, and she stayed an extra night yeah I went to check on her and and the nurses said yeah oh, she's kind of weak let's keep her an extra yeah, night. yeah yeah she was a British citizen yes. Have I told you this before? Yes. Okay, yes. sorry. So, long long story short, we owe two grand to the to the Alberta government. Yeah. For that stay. And the, was, the NHS didn't cover that? Like cover her? No. She was in Alberta. Uh, right? So we went in and we're saying we don't have two thousand dollars. Right? And mm -hmm. the bureaucrat behind the desk said Too bad. Said, Yeah, that's that's what you owe us. Yep. Right? Until Trent said, Aha, I know what angle I can play here. Mm -hmm. I'm the father of that child. Yep. I'm a Canadian citizen. I'm yep. a citizen of Alberta. Should be covered under me. Right? And she immediately, as soon as I uttered those words, mm -hmm. she pulled out the paperwork from under her desk, put it out, sign here, 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 fill this out. Done. Yada, yada, yada. Done. 200 bucks. Right? But it was only when I said those words. Mm -hmm. She knew that that was a possibility. Right. But she right? didn't ask. She didn't ask. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I obviously did not have a British accent. Right. Right? So... She could have provided that service, but did not. And that, that's the example I will always use, mm -hmm. right? I, I have a serious problem with that. You know, because it's, that's, it's like, okay, do not try and pretend you are a public service. You, what, are, you are a denier of service unless. What incentive did she have to investigate? Like, again, she knew you had no British accent, that there was at least the possibility you were an Alberta citizen. What incentive did she have to pursue that? None. Obviously, because the bureaucratic procedures are set up to limit the amount she the money they give paid. out. So it's not about it's right. it's not about providing the service. It's about minimizing the, she the provision of that service. She was paid the same 
one way or the other. In fact, it was easier for her to just stay pay up. Well, it's not just that. It's obviously that, you know, the the department. It's also it, in, in, in the government's is, interest for you to pay the two thousand bucks instead of two thousand bucks. Yeah, two hundred. And it's, it's yeah. the nature of the bureaucracy. And it's yeah. just the nature of bureaucracy. Whether it's government, whether it's a massive mega corporation like 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 Google or Imperial Oil, it's bureaucracy, man. The, and, the, and the, and the I, bureaucrat <clears throat> will always seek to minimize their own effort unless they have a direct incentive not to do so. That's just yeah, the way it is. Yeah, I, I guess. But the, the the fact that she didn't argue with it after that point, it's like, sure. he's like, well, I guess I have to fill this out yeah. now because that's yeah. I, my my sense wasn't that she was unwilling to do that. It was I'm, like the rule was in place that unless yeah. unless I'm, someone I'm, you don't have you, to say the code phrase. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not advocating for her. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to defend her position at all. Uh, at all. I'm just saying that this is what we should expect. Yeah, this and is it, this is the way it is. And likewise, when it comes to conversations about you know big government and stuff like that. I don't have, to a certain extent, I have an issue with where government is stepping in more and more these days. But I, I see it more as uh, an extension of, you know, we get f- out of our society what we expect of it, right? Like the, like the whole, all the conversations we have about not being able to do a right-hand fucking turn on a red fucking mm-hmm. light anymore, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and I see government having extended itself to that extent these days, that's where I feel it's kind of goofy. Like, it's not providing any sort of reasonable, rational uh, service to its to the people. Well, right? I, I would say that the, the, the rise of big government comes out of the philosophical convention that it doesn't matter whether or not government is the most efficient agent or first of all, it comes from the philosophical convention that government is not the role of government. Contrary to Steve's assertion, the role of government is not to simply keep the lights on, keep the water running, and provide rule of law. The role of government is to solve problems. Okay, so now that we've done that, we're taking the stance that government is. It doesn't matter whether or not government is the most efficient agent in solving these problems, because even the most, some of the most strident advocates of big government will admit that it's not. That's beside the point. The point is that government is the only morally acceptable agent in solving problems. That government is disinterested. That government is neutral, as say compared to uh, a private organization which is, say, profit-driven, is not going to be neutral. It is going to be self-interested and biased, and government is immune to that. Now, of course, I, I disagree with that fundamentally. I say the government is, the bureaucracy is profit, just as profit-oriented, just as self-interested, and so on and so forth. But, you know, that, that's a debate, you know, for another time. The the extension of that and kind of where we find ourselves is that if government is going to, or we've evolved to a point where the advocates of big government believe that the individual is no longer capable or should not be trusted to make as many decisions as maybe was seen 50 years ago. And that, yeah, you shouldn't be allowed to make a right-hand turn on a red light because 
you'll fuck it up. So that's you, the sentiment these yeah, days. Obviously. You shouldn't be allowed to make decisions for yourself because you are not qualified to make decisions for yourself. You cannot be relied upon to make decisions for yourself. Therefore, we need, and uh, now I'm not going to go down any further rabbit holes on this, but the idea is that we need a technocratic um, class of experts to guide us and make these decisions for us. That's, I, again, I'm not saying I advocate with that. I passionately fight this, this, this point of view. But that's what uh, you know, the, the opposite view is. And that's why who controls the public sector in this environment is so very important. Well, yeah. And, and, I mean, I, I agree with you in that respect. You know, like we, people should be allowed to make their own decisions in so many ways, but using the traffic analogy and a whole bunch of others. I, I, I just get the sense, and maybe this is just me getting older, right? But my co-citizens are just completely incapable of making informed decisions for themselves anymore, right? And, and this is why we butt heads a lot about mm -hmm. things like the Freedom Convoy. Yes. Right? Um, you know, I... I Again, using the Facebook example, I get a, you know, a lot of people, friends from the right, who who just like, they like to post memes about the woke left whining and screaming and throwing tantrums, right? I, I look at everything that came out of from the right regarding, uh, regarding COVID and things like the Freedom Convoy, and I just see the same thing. It's, it's just, a bunch of, just a bunch of people whining uh, from the right. You know, I, I see it from both sides. I have a problem with the woke left screaming and freaking and throwing tantrums about this, that, and the other thing. I have the same thing from the right. Or uh, say how uh, Alberta NDP candidate Samir Kayandi said, uh, he said that the, the trucker convoy was just a bunch of Nazis. He said this on Twitter. How that they, uh, they were a hateful, foreign-funded, white supremacist blockade threatening Ottawa. And how they have swastikas and confederate flags, symbols that stand for my erasure and my children's death. Well, those symbols do stand for those things. Uh, yeah. And, they were... and if there were elements of the convoy that had that. Now, it is, it is I, wrong to portray. I'm pretty sure portray... the confederate flag never stood for. Uh, is he, he's Indian? He's Indian? Yeah. But, but again, never stood for an Indian fellow this is the whole yeah. thing about, like, uh, you talk to guys who were, you know, against the convoy. And... They're fixated on, like, number one, how the guy had the Confederate flag and the other guy had the Nazi flag because they were saying these were the tools. No, nobody had a Nazi what? flag. He had a Canadian flag that he'd put swastikas on. Yeah, because right? yeah, he was But yeah, the insinuation that was that the government was, was acting like Nazis. Yeah. yeah, in that regard. But, and, 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 okay, I'm, 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 I'm descending into moral equivalency. But, I'm I'm kind of saying that these are. I think they're they're they're, they're specious, right? To say that oh you know like the the freedom convoys were all a bunch of uh, Nazis. I think I I, I agree. It, that's an inaccurate it's, it's statement. It's specious, and it's, it's <clears throat> what I what I said was the freedom convoy are a bunch of whiners. That's my issue, right? Okay. In the same way, the left, uh, the right keeps pointing at the woke left as a bunch of whiners, right? I see the same thing. Right, it was it was an emotional thing at a difficult time. Mm. We've the three of us have had the conversation. Okay, were the measures out of hand? In retrospect, look looks like they may well have been. Right, you know, discussion for I another could, time. Yeah. but something had to be done. 
right? Yeah. So the response to it shouldn't be, ah, let's all fucking freak yeah. out and scream about my, can, my, my, me, me, I me, me, see, me, me. I can see why. Yeah, like if in, in an extreme, looking through an extreme prison, I can see why you would call convoy members whiners. Um, yeah, because they were complaining about the established structure. So yeah, I, I could see why if I supported that structure, then yeah, I could see why they would. I would. I it would see them as whiners. Yeah, it, I'm not talking that. about the structure in for in terms of government, like the Alberta government. The, no, the like government. I mean, I mean the public health policies at yeah. the time. Right. So at the time, it's okay. We gotta do something, right? So I found, you know, you know what I don't miss. Actually, I I've been going for doctor's appointment uh, every couple of weeks now, starting about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I walk into the clinic, and for the first time in over a year, at least, mm-hmm. I have to put on a mask. And and it and it's oh yeah, only really, when you go into a, a a medical facility. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. Are you doing yeah. chemo or syphilis treatments? <laughs> Neither. Um, it is kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. And, and it's, I don't miss it. Yeah. No. Right? I, I, I don't miss it at all. I, right? Yeah. I, they so, made me put a mask on when I went to get blood work a, a yeah. month or so ago. Or I guess it was six weeks yeah. ago. Now, and, yeah. and, and you almost want to look at them and say, you know, will you guys come out of the dark ages? Like, please? No, I, tr- I think they saw it as an opportunity. Like, like probably like the blood draw clinics and stuff have probably wanted to mask people for a long time before the well, pandemic. Well, you know, and again, well, there there have been societies all over the world. Like, you know, I remember back in the eighties or nineties, you'd see movies about, or or documentaries about people mm-hmm. in China or mm-hmm. or you know parts of Korea where people were in masks all the time, right? So it's, it's yeah. just a health. Sense. It's superstition. So I think- it's superstition. The Cochrane Library just released their report on the public health response in the United States on COVID. The lead author is the head of Harvard Epidemiology. Like this is not a crank yeah. uh, organization. And they said there is zero definitive effort or e- evidence, zero, that masking makes any effect whatsoever. It's superstition. For COVID. For COVID. Any respiratory infection. Really? Okay, so, so it doesn't have to be respiratory. Like again, and, and I, I don't even want to go down but, that road, right? I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just. I'm saying that the health establishment is so. How would you say? So doggedly refusing to admit they were wrong, that where they control their sphere of control, health facilities, they are still making people mask. Yeah. It's emperor's new clothes. You know what? I, I, again, and then this is. I just don't have a problem with it. Well, you know, it, it's, it's kind of weird. So you, you asked the question, why am I doing this? And you're joking. I get that, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm actually going in for psychological counseling okay. in a couple of weeks. It's right? probably because of us. No, probably because of me hectoring you and badgering you. Actually, you guys are the sanest thing I've had in the last <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> then you need help, my friend. Exactly. <laughs> you I need do, help. I do need help. Right? <laughs> it's a good thing you're getting it. So the weird thing is, and, and this is the only problem... I have with wearing a mask. I'm sitting here talking to my psychological counselor across that's, that's, the, across that's the be desk. That's really annoying doing talk therapy. Yeah, right? that would be. Because yeah. the whole thing is... I'd be like, can we move this conversation outside or something? Yeah, because you, you know? need to be able to see that person's face. Absolutely. Right? So, I, And I miss that. I oh, absolutely yeah. miss that. I would, I would be looking for a new practitioner, brother. 
No, I mean, uh, no, because this clinic, it, I love this clinic. I've been yeah. with them over 20 years. If I love my doctor. They're holding that line that you have to come in and be masked to get psychological counseling. My point is, and wow. I get it. Now, in an ideal world, it wouldn't be this way. Can I live with it? Yes. Right? And that's, and that, that's kind of my whole approach to the whole concept. Right? You know, you know what? You know what sucked? Wearing a mask. Right? Yeah. But under the circumstances, it was an inconvenience. Right, you know, I looked at the whole thing. My bottom line was, we got this weird ass fucking thing that our society globally hasn't dealt with in a century. What are we going to do about it? Was it blown out of proportion? Looking that way, right? Was it heavy handed? Looking that way. But my bottom line at the time was, let's make sure this doesn't get out of hand, right? Because we don't want to see what happened in 1919. Steve. Before I leap in and segue it back into the election. Yes. Yeah, I get nothing. Sorry. I would say that the masks, once we became more familiar with them, they actually, we did understand, yeah, that they are harmful. Uh, They are a major impediment to communication because so much of what we do relies on the reading of facial expressions. We know now that it really put back early childhood development of, of uh, kids. And we are only now coming to terms with, you know, like the, the, the educational problems that the mask mandates caused. And they were considerable, considerable emotional distress for people. Uh, it wasn't just an inconvenience. Um, we for me, it was. it was. We thought it was. For me, it but was. But societally, we, we are now coming to understand that, yeah, there was harm. Yeah. It was real harm. Again, you know, it's, it's, it's a balancing of, yeah. of interests. Right? Now, it's like, what are you supposed to do in an urgent situation like that? You don't have time to debate about it. If we've done nothing and it's, right. it's impossible to prove a negative. But, but to tie it, rather than doing another episode on COVID, yeah, yeah, yeah. which we should do bring it back later, to, bring it back but to back the, to the election. Bring it back to the election. Okay. You guys are now campaign managers. Okay, you're being paid big bucks to win an election. So, let's look at this as nonpartisanly as we can mm-hmm. and look purely on a structural kind of concept. How would you advocate that each party should, what points should they emphasize? What points should they avoid? And how good a job do you think each one did in in order for them to win the election. Yes, just win, just win. That's it. just win, baby. Objectively, just, not objectively. from my point of view. Not not to make Trent happy. No, no. Say so how how would you win? And in that regard, I am kind of surprised. Well, actually, no, I'm not surprised. Um, I'm I'm not surprised. But I thought each party's record during COVID would play a bigger role in the election. And I'm kind of surprised how both parties have really tried to avoid it. Now, when I think about it for a little bit longer, I can kind of say, yeah, that makes sense. Because nobody, nobody wins. Nobody wins on that well, Yeah, it's a nothing burger, right? Well, the ND was not in power, no, so it's irrelevant. Well, here's what I mean. The NDP were strong advocates for locking down everything. Mm-hmm. Now, on the one hand, I thought this could be a very useful UCP talking point to say, look, you put that party in, in power, you are one disaster away. You are one black swan event away 
from going back into East Germany because you know what they wanted to do during COVID, which was lock everything down, close everything. And that was just incredibly destructive to the working class. You could make good, good hay with that. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people in the conservative base who are very upset with how the Kenny conservatives yep. handled that. Yep. So I could see that, you know, that might hurt you as much as it helps. Like it's a huge wild card, not really worth, and like, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking not in, in terms of, of moral or ethical policy. I'm talking about if I am paid to get a party to win the election, then in that case, I would say it was probably smarter for the conservatives to not talk about it because I think both parties do not want their policy platforms, their, their advocacy at the time to be refreshed in the public mind. Well, again, I think, yeah, from the Tory point of view in particular, you don't want yeah. <clears throat> Kenny's policies no. brought back up again. Because you didn't make anybody happy. Right. You didn't make your base like no, the, the, yeah, no. the left was upset because you weren't locking down hard enough. Yeah. And the right was upset because to them you were locking down too hard. Exactly. So if the subject comes up, you're going to alienate both sets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, on, on you know, a lot of the argument or a lot of the, um, the pundits these days will say when you're pissing off both sides, you're probably in the right space. Right. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But again, but for the, the electoral ooh, politics standpoint, yeah, you know, it's too risky. Yeah. Like on the one hand, um, like I can absolutely see the NDP not wanting to talk about that. Yeah. They're like the hard base for each party. You got that vote down. The only mm -hmm. thing you got to worry about, like the guy who's always voted new Democrat, the only thing you got to worry about, like, let's say, let's put ourselves in the position of new, of new Democrats first off right now. Let's say we're, we're, we're their strategists, we're their campaign managers. Those guys are always going to vote for us. They're not going to vote against us. So what we have to do, as far as they are concerned, that's say 25, 30% of the electorate. We just got to make sure they get out. Okay, we got to get that vote out. Yeah. The swing vote, and, and again, there's no point in pandering, in trying to get that, like, there's no point in me trying to get you to vote NDP, because like you, Steve, because yeah. you're not gonna, okay? No matter what I say, no matter what I do, I would have to stop, my party would have to fundamentally stop being that party to get you to vote for it. Yes. So you're a waste of my time. Yeah. What I need to target is that swing voter. Yeah. That person who might vote NDP, who might vote UCP. Yeah. It depends. And, and the swing voter in Alberta is, is, an, ur is an urban person who's just not married right. to the NDP. Right. Because right. the rural vote is, yeah. Basically all UCP. Yeah. Pro UCP. I, waste of my time. Yeah. Waste, I'm not going to bother... You're campaigning outside Edmonton, Red Deer, Lethbridge, Grand Prairie. I'm not going to waste my time. And Grand Prairie Calgary. is probably a... And worse. only city center. Yeah. Only the city center in Grand Prairie, Red Deer, and Lethbridge. Yeah. Because right. Red Deer... Lethbridge is a very agricultural city. Red Deer and Grand Prairie are both very, very resource... Yeah. Industry-based yeah. cities, right? Like so I want to target the upper income... Yep service industry base and that's what i mean by by the center of those towns yeah uh, yeah the lawyers the accountants the, yeah the upper income guys yeah the higher your income the more receptive you are to new democrat policies yeah um lethbridge i can target because it's a university and government town right right so i have that public sector vote that i can that i can tap into right and academic 
Yeah, well, I'm, I'm counting the academic as public sector, right? Because, well, That's they're not the private schools. Yeah, the check schools. comes from the government, right? So I, I count them as, as extended public sector. Um, now, for that swing vote, I do not really want to talk about a predilection for locking everything down. Because that swing voter is probably middle class, soft blue color, mm -hmm. and they suffered during the lockdowns. Yeah. So that's not something I want to bring. I don't want anyone talking about that. So if the UCP don't bring it up, I'm certainly not going to go after their record in COVID because I don't want that bouncing back on Yeah, you. you're right. I don't think that the NDs don't need to bring it up. And if the UCP brings it up, the NDs win. They win that conversation. I don't know. They might. I think they, they might. Do. I think it's, overall... It's, it's a coin toss. It's a coin toss. But at, at any rate, I just don't see there's clear enough victory in there. Like, I just don't yeah, see... The, the, yeah, there's nothing to yeah. be gained, right? There's, like, it's it's who loses least, Yeah, basically. The big, the big yeah. battles are really yeah. in Edmonton and Calgary, though, right? Because yes. the province is roughly four and a half million... Or yeah. no, well, four million people, maybe pushing four and a half yeah. million people now. And... Two and a bit of those people live, are divided between yeah. Edmonton and Calgary. Right. Really, that's that's and about so that's where the swing voters are. Because if if the NDP only wins Edmonton and Calgary, they can still form a majority. Yeah, like for example, in Lethbridge, there's only like two seats. Period. How yeah. many? How many are in Edmonton? How many in Calgary? Oh, oh. I think the battles in Calgary is what it comes down I, to. Yeah, I agree. The real battleground right, seats. in this election for sure seats. is probably Calgary because. Edmonton is the government yeah. town. Like, uh, sorry, Grand Prairie is one seat. I thought they were two. They're one. Red Deer is two seats. Lethbridge is three seats. Uh, Calgary and Edmonton each. Metro area. Uh, yeah, probably around 20 each. Probably around 20 each. Well, for example, in... Uh, well, how many? There's 87, we said? 87 seats. Yeah. How does, <clears throat> how does the NDE pull off? They can't do it with just Calgary and Edmonton. Yeah, they could. They probably could. You said 20 each? That's 40. How reliable is Fairview for the NDP? Just hmm. as an example of rural riding, given that's where Rachel Notley's from. No, but I, I mean, you can't do it with Calgary and Edmonton alone. Uh, she's 40. running in Strathcona, though. I don't think she's running in Fairview. She's running right. in Strathcona. Yeah, no, no I know. I, I, just, I just thought no, I was, Fairview was... Fairview uh, I, was I was on White Ave the other okay. day. It's Laurie Sigurdsson downtown. Or, Not are, no, sorry, no, yeah, in, Rachel uh, Notley, I think, does run for an Edmonton ride. She doesn't yeah. run for Fairview. So, like, wow. uh, the NDP won last time Edmonton Manning, Edmonton Castle Downs, Edmonton Northwest, St. Albert, West Ende, Glenmore, City Centre, Highlands Norwood, Decor, Beverly, Clareview, Gold Bar, Strathcona, Riverview, and McClung, Edmonton South, White Mud, Rutherford, Millwoods, Meadows, and Ellerslie. They did not win Sherwood Park. They did not win Edmonton Southwest. Now, Sherwood Park, you could say, okay, maybe it's not Edmonton. Edmonton Southwest with Casey Maddow was the only Edmonton seat that they did not win. I just actually, all I need to know is what sites outside Edmonton, Edmonton and Calgary they won last time. Uh, outside, they won Calgary McCall, Calgary Mountain View. But what's, what about outside of, outside your, of, of Edmonton and Calgary? Outside Calgary and Edmonton. Lethbridge West, that's it. Well, if there's only... But there, is I mean, that 2019 or 2015? This is, 20, this is 2019. Okay, I'm looking, at, I, I'm looking at how they won in 2015. Because if, they couldn't, if there's only 20 seats per Cal, for Calgary well, and 20 seats for Edmonton. Yeah, they there's can't more take, than that. There's, there's more than that. Seats, yeah. I mean, I just named... 
Well, yeah, they won everything in them. So numbers 15 through 36. So, yeah, about 20 odd, right? 15 to 25 is 10, 20. Can I go to that page you put on the big screen? Uh, this is the Wikipedia page for uh, the Edmonton 2019 election. But we want to talk about 2015, right? Yeah, let's talk 2015. Or uh, you could talk 2015, and they should have the same background as to how many they won. Now, in 20, what is it, uh, 2015, if we look at it, they won 54 seats. All you need is 44. Yeah. Majority so I'm just is wondering 44. where they were. So, the, looking here, I do. This is the map here. And they did win a bunch of rural seats. Yeah. They did win in 2015. Well, they would have had to. Like so they, they won, won They won in uh, 2015. They won Red Deer complete. They won Lethbridge complete. They won yep. Medicine Hat complete. They yep. won Edmonton complete. Yeah, all of Edmonton. Yeah, they won a bunch of Calgary, but they also won like... Uh, uh, so one, they won two, Fairview, three, Spirit River four. up here. Hang on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine rural seats. Yeah. And I think Al didn't the uh, no, Alberta party didn't win nothing. No, I, like you said, the vote was split between the progressives, the PCs, and the yeah. liberals. So. Yeah. But I, I don't think. I mean, they could still. Uh, yeah, they they could still win. I mean, if there's. So in response to your question, if I'm advising them, I'm in. If I'm advising the PCs, yep. just do what you're doing, right? Because you're probably going to win. Like a hand there. Okay, so if we count Chestermere, Strathmore, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You've eight, got all the rural nine, writings. 10, that's all you 11, need. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. 29 ridings in Calgary. If you count Strathcona Sherwood Park, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 ridings in Edmonton. Let's say 23 because you're not going to win Mournville-St. Albert. That's, that's not enough urban people in, in, in that riding. I mean, so what do we it's, say? It's irrelevant. 29 and 24? Just look at all the numbers. It's 54. <clears throat> that's a majority. Yeah. Well, that's, you're that's not, what their majority you, was in 2015, actually. I think right. But seven. you yeah. look at all the seats. Look at all the rural ones. Right? Yeah. Like 54. It's because they were split between the Wild Rose and the UCP. There's no way they... No, they won. Seats. No, they would have beat anyway. They won 54 seats. Yeah. Even if the conservatives had swept every non-seat, every non... It was maybe vote share is what beat them. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's the yeah. vote share. And it yeah. just if you scroll back down again, Steve, right? If you look at that, okay, let's just, just look mm -hmm. at those. Right? What are the combined Wild Rose and PC? Oh, look at that. Yeah, it beats the NDs. Yeah. yeah. Right? Every case. It's just the vote splitting. You're right. I do not see the NDP pulling that up. Well, in 2012, and this was the Redford election, uh, the Indy or the Conservatives had 59.5% of the popular vote. The NDP and the Alberta Party had 11.16% combined mm -hmm. of the popular vote. 
In 2015, the NDP went to 40.62% of the popular vote. The Wild Rose PC were at 52.01% of popular vote. Mm-hmm. But I, because they split... Those are, those are bad comparisons because of how Redford won. Right? Because Redford pulled. Redford should have been, by all accounts... By any measure, she should have been an NDP candidate. She should have been, yeah. But she didn't see a, a, a road to being premier right. for NDP. Right. So what she did is she, she was said, a red Tory. She well, not just a red Tory. She was a what's what's worse than a red Tory? Like I red, deep more red, red, like <laughs> deep red, like red and yellow with yeah. hammer and sickle Tory, yeah. right? Like because yeah. she so she, she pulled was. in the public sector people, okay. had the, had yeah. them get conservative memberships, and then yeah. essentially. Yoinked out, stabbed them in the back. Yeah, yo, yo, yeah. Yoinked, yoinked out, and then well, yeah, I guess, but yeah, but and then those so then those she got the traditional NDP voter to join the Conservative Party, vote for for the Conservative leadership, mm-hmm. and then those people voted Conservative in the next election yeah. because they their candidate. was Well, in, in twenty nineteen, yeah, the UCP got fifty point zero two percent of the popular vote. The NDP and the Alberta Party got forty two point eight five. Now, the Alberta Party was only two point two three percent of that. So I think, it, you know, they're, they're, they were minor. It was the NDP of that 42%, 40.62 was NDP all by itself. But again, in both elections, 2015, 2019, the NDP could not crack 41% of popular vote. So that is it, it also, definitely it, a challenge for them. And Can again, they make the most of that 40%? Well, that's just it, right? And the, the answer is probably not. Because anytime you talk about percentage of popular vote, it's like, great. Except, where was it all? If it's all in Edmonton and Calgary, that means you're winning, you know, how many of well, your seats, does it mean you're winning a whole bunch of seats overwhelmingly, but you're failing in other seats miserably, right? What you need to be able to do is have that vote ideally split in such a way that you're making some close close seats everywhere, right? Ideally, Otherwise, because that's that's how you win well, with only 30% how do you do of the vote. How do you do that if we you're see, the Democrats? How do you do that? You don't. That's why, you know, if this somehow manages to be a New Democrat victory, mm-hmm. I, I'll be very interested to find out how that happens. It would ha- they're right? going to have to sweep Edmonton, sweep Calgary. And take some rural riders. And take a bunch of rural. Well, I, I can't see them taking much. You're going to have to take no at way. least one of Lethbridge's four. You have to take at least one. You're going to have to take, take all four. Uh, that gets you take, 44, I guess. They well, no, they could, well, they, could just sweep, they could just sweep Edmonton and Calgary because we figured that out. It's 54 yeah, votes, yeah. right? But again, they're probably seats. a sweep at Calgary is going to be pretty hard. Yeah. It's 54 for, so, for yeah, 20, Calgary? Yeah, 29 and 23 we said, right? What's that? 29 seats in Calgary, yeah. 23 in Edmonton, right? Yeah. Because you were That's okay, that's yeah, 52. Yeah. Yeah. Is it 52? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So, and if they okay, need 44. Well, well, they only need 44. Yeah. So yeah. you don't need to sweep Calgary. You kind of got to take it. You, you got to hold Fortress Edmonton. Yeah. And, well, I mean, from 52 to 44, that's six. You can afford uh, to give up four in Calgary so long as you take... One in Red Deer, two in Lethbridge. Let's go back to the Calgary ones here and see what Suburban Edmonton You can afford to do that. So, but you really got to carry the day in Calgary. You so, really so going back to the 2015 results, looking at the Calgary ridings, there's a bunch. It's still, it was the vote splitting hurt them or helped them in Calgary. In 2015. in 2015. Looks like they could take Calgary Buffalo. Or sorry, 20, yeah. 
No, 2012, I guess it's. It's Calgary Buffalo's high income. So they could do it. They could do it. Uh, let's see. That would be 45 to 55. No. PCs take Calgary Cross. I think the NDP uh, has been Calgary smart. Calgary Cume is close. They've been very, very uh, intelligent in talking a lot about health care. I think that's a very good campaign point for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a traditional campaign point. Why well, it's also which a is big not deal great, these days. But it's a it's it's a good one, right? Because that is you're always able to frighten people with the boogeyman of healthcare. Yeah, it, this is beyond the traditional messaging, though. Right now, uh, right now it's and it's the same across the country. Right now, it's about keeping emergency rooms open. And yeah, but that's, that's a traditional message. That's always uh, been the situation. But always, since, healthcare has always uh, been on the verge of collapse. Always, it's a new message now since COVID. Because, because of all the people leaving uh, the sector, I guess I I, I suppose. But like, see, this is what I mean. It's it's a good strategy, but like a tra- like any traditional strategy, mm-hmm. sooner or later, it will run out. You're right. And the question is <coughs> when election. is going to be this one, or is it going to be the next one, or the one after that? Election to election, if it's if it's nothing burger, then people's yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, people just tune it up. This right? election, it is it is an issue, and people, it's I don't know what it says in the mm-hmm. polling you've seen, but I've seen enough articles recently mm-hmm. to say across the country, yeah, including yeah. in Alberta, yeah. um, this is a big deal, and I, I think it's a good strategy. It's a very good one because that's that's where the NDP. Is is always going to have um, how would you say traction? Yeah, they are the creators of of healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's their baby, and they will always be dependent upon to like no one looks at it and says, yeah the, the NDP is not gonna not gonna fund my healthcare. I think, no one ever thinks that. I think right. the the more they can stay away from, um, you know the the one tier system conversation, mm-hmm. the better. Right, you, you don't want to get dragged into one tier, two tier, because that's the message they're always going on. What the, right? the NDP? Yeah, right. So, well, and because personally, for me, and now this is just my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, yeah, you know, I have I have a problem with dogmatic mm-hmm. unilateralism. Anyways, yeah. you know, if you if you if you're not able to revisit a conversation, uh, see what's pragmatic, right. Um, because we know that there's examples all over the, and we, you know, we've talked about the social welfare states in Europe. A lot of them have mm-hmm. two-tier systems now, yep. right? So we should be able to at least well, Canada, do some calculation. Canada, Canada is the only socialized medicine system in the world that holds people prisoner yeah. uh, to the system, right? Doesn't the it NHS, just, doesn't the UK nope, do that as well? No, you can, you can escape the system within the UK. Okay. I thought, I thought the NHS The NHS is universal. universal is universal coverage, and it's right. unique because it's a national system, not a provincial system right. like ours. But you, you can, can you, get private. You can still get private okay. healthcare within the UK. You can opt out. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Okay. Actually, using the NHS, is, uh, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, was on my honeymoon in Spain. Yeah. My wife got uh, chicken pox out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So, and we had to fly to the UK and get her diagnosed yeah. at the University Hospital of the West Midlands or yeah, something like something that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And uh, she got checked out, and sure enough, she had it. And then, and I was like, okay, went up to the desk to the nurse to pay. Mm-hmm. Two Canadians. Yep. 
not British at all. Yep. And she she just laughed at me. Oh, you don't pay. You don't pay. They didn't want your Alberta health care? They did not want... Uh, they so didn't the, want Alberta... I was going to pay with my yeah, out of visa pocket. card. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right? And she yeah. was like... She and looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, this is the NHS, and I don't care where you're from. You're, you're wow. getting this for free. Wow. They didn't have a mechanism for collection. I kind of yeah, wonder... I, like, it's... it's I mean, the the British people are very fond of the NHS. Yeah, I I, I have to wonder: is it does it function better than ours? Because no. ours doesn't. No, yeah. I don't think the British people are fond of the NHS. I think they hate it, oh. but they're more frightened. I, I just say most of yeah, because I don't have much experience. They're with more frightened with the alternative. So. Yeah, and that, they're, they're, what are you going to replace it with? There's yeah. nobody here who is happy with healthcare. Yeah, nobody, even its most strident defender. Nobody likes it. We all hate waiting eight hours to see a doctor in an emergency room, right? Yeah. But what frightens people is the prospect of the unknown. Like, what's going to replace it? Yeah. Well, I do, and, and we've got the example right across the border, right? They always point at our wait times. We mm-hmm. point at the fact that your, your wife gets sick. You're out hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you don't have your insurance. Right. Yeah, if you don't have an insurance plan. Yeah. Um, now, this is also something that uh, the Canadian healthcare industry stridently attempts to keep it as a binary discussion. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. this system or that system. Yeah, it's, it's never. Only, we can't yeah, talk yeah. about Switzerland. We yeah. can't talk about yeah. Finland. We, we can't, can't talk, talk about South Korea. Right. We can't talk about Japan. They yeah. want people to only think of it as either the Canadian system or the American system. Right. And and again, that that's another topic. Uh, for if I was advising the NDP, I would say okay, keep the focus on what could what speculation as to what kind of dystopian american style system daniel smith might create yeah avoid talking about well, your record in healthcare the the yeah exactly the big one right has always been that when daniel smith when she was a radio host talking yeah. about alternatives alternative, to healthcare. Al- yeah. alternative well, delivery specifically systems. the one like maybe Maybe people should pay to visit, yeah. to visit their, like their GP. A user fee. Yeah. A like user. we used to have back in the, in the 1980s. Yep. Right. And, and like, oh, it's like, because literally the line she says, like a visit to your, do- a non-emergency visit yeah. to your doctor, is that something that should be covered 100% by yeah. government? Yeah. And that's a view I'm actually very sympathetic to. Most people right. are. And then, like everybody understands that the status quo is not sustainable. That we have to do something. Yeah. But what that something is, is a ma- very much a contentious matter of debate and people are frightened. Yeah. And and like... Well, paraly- paralyzed. That's just frightened. Paralyzed. Yeah. Like the, the entire yeah. debate in the, in the whole country yeah. is paralyzed. Yeah. yeah. About, that's about just trying a, to come and sustain. Yeah. We're just going to keep working, doing yeah. this until it doesn't work anymore. And when and it doesn't work anymore, it's going to be catastrophic. Gonna, yes. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. When the wheels fall off, it is, I mean, yeah, when the end comes, it's like our healthcare system will collapse utterly. And then there's no hospitals. And there's no hospitals. Oh, no, yes, because there's no money at all. Yeah. yeah. No, I, and I get that. That's the know? scary part. That's, I mean, and that's going to happen. That's inevitable. We're seeing that across the way. And this is the third time I remember seeing it, the, you know, the, the discussion about the debt ceiling in the US. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because the background to that mm-hmm. conversation is. You know, okay, yeah, you need money to, to keep the government running. All right? yeah. But this is where I'm going to agree with you guys. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to keep that under control? Because yeah. I'm not hearing that conversation. Nobody, nobody down there is doing anything. Well, like in the Alberta situation, 
45, if you look at the budget, about 45% of every penny the provincial government spends is on healthcare. About 45% is education. Mm-hmm. Everything else takes that last 10%. Mm-hmm. So when we say, well, we need more funding for healthcare. Uh, where's it coming from? Where's it coming from? Yeah. And, and this is where, like, again, I would advise the NDP, do not talk about your time in office. Keep the focus on the forward, on the future, because they ran up massive debts, um, massive debts. And they weren't able to move the needle on anything in healthcare, like patient outcomes, wait times, doctors per patient, yeah. uh, emergency room readiness. Like it was the same problems, you know, that has always bedeviled our system. So I would say avoid uh, talking about, like, don't let the UCP frame the conversation in terms of, like, well, when you were in office, you didn't do any better. Avoid that. Avoid that. Keep it on future policy initiatives. Like, and I think they've done a fairly good job about that. Like, again, uh, putting in, like, mentioning numbers mm-hmm. and be specific. Because that was always a criticism in the past. That it was always platitudes. Mm-hmm. And they say, no, we're going to put seven medical students in this community in Southern Alberta. We're going to hire X, like, uh, what is it? hundred doctors um, uh, that we're going to, you know, make, they had some hard numbers involved on their healthcare initiatives as what's going to happen in the future. And I think that was, I think that was a good move. Well, that's, that's absolutely a good yeah, move because then, move. then you can start framing that in terms of, okay, that doesn't sound like it's going to cost a lot, right? It sounds like. Yeah, it, it sounds, sounds manageable. Sounds yeah. like we're, we're, we're bringing in six bodies. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah, it sounds, uh, it sounds but, incremental. Yeah. Not crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a good policy. Um, um, the, uh, the, the other side is, again, um, using you know, your media assets to present Daniel Smith as really dislikable. As a person, like the character assassination. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I don't know how effective it's going to be because sometimes negative campaigning can backfire. But I think, I think the, that's a Canadian myth. It's the best shot they got, though. No, right? I, I think, I I think, think the, 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 negative, the negative is, is uh, uh, it might backfire you, I think, is the myth. Well, it, it certainly seems to have more traction nowadays yeah. in a more polarized society, yeah. right? Um, now... Will it work? That's especially in Southern Alberta. I mean, Daniel Smith was a very public figure. She had a very popular radio show. Mm -hmm. So the people in Southern Alberta, particularly Calgary, which is the battleground. Yeah. They know who she is. Her home writing is Okotoks, isn't it? Yeah. They know her personality. So you might get play in Edmonton. By demonizing her. Yeah. Where they aren't as familiar with her. She didn't have that media presence. But it gives them no benefit. Yeah, but because Edmonton was already kind of... Pretty, pretty well locked down, locked right? Down. Other than yeah. maybe if you gain traction in my writing here. Yeah. Which is conservative, <clears throat> presently conservative. Yeah, so... Uh, but again, they got to do something. Yeah. And it's not going to hurt them. So they may, roll, may as well roll with that. And that way you can distract from things you don't want to talk about. Yeah, maybe I... I I don't know. My sense is this is just going to be another Alberta election, right? My vote is worth, you know, half of a rural mm-hmm. vote, as it always has been. 
Well, and you know, no. which, which Edmonton, me Calgary alone can win it. That the importance of the rule of vote is really not that important anymore. I mean, when I, when I look at the, like there's uh, in Northern Alberta, there's 14 seats and then say, yeah, 37 to kind of 50, 13, 14, 13. There's, there's less than 20 rural seats. I don't know. We'll see. Less than 2025. I, I, I think, you so know, the, maybe, the maybe going to carry it. Maybe next, next time we, we do a, a postmortem. Yeah. I think uh, the cities right. can carry it. And Calgary so we'll is essential because again, Calgary's a battleground. Yeah. yeah Calgary Edmonton is the battleground. Now I do think, I do think Doesn't that hurt? Casey Madu can, can keep Edmonton Southwest. I do think they can. Now, when you look at the heat maps uh, from Edmonton Spruce Grove in the in the 2019 on the Wikipedia page, uh, when you look at uh, on the right hand side of your screen, there, Steve, mm-hmm. pan down, you can see some heat maps. Is that 2015 or is that 2019? These are 2015. Yeah. Okay, look at 2019s. If you look at the heat maps. Um, Again, the wealthier, the wealthier the real estate in the downtown core, the more key the NDP support. If you look at the far west and far northeast, the numbers, like the heat map is dimmer. Those seats might be in play. I'm going to guess right there. Now, if you zoom in on the Edmonton Spruce Grove map there, no. you see that heat map? The northeast and the this, and this west might be something in play there. So I'm going to say that uh, maybe, maybe, and I'll, 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 I'm happy to say why, uh, like quantify this, that I think the conservatives can keep Casey Madu's seat and they might take one or two more. Which ones do you think they'll take? Something in the West End or maybe the far Northeast. The more blue-collar working-class neighborhoods. So like Clareview or... Yeah, uh, the ones that were the most hurt by the lockdowns. Nobody's talking about it, but I do think that the COVID experience is in the back of people's minds. Yeah, but it depends on who they blame for it. I mean, it's true. Who can you blame? You can blame the UCP for it, or you get you get successfully redirected to what. Well, it it's kind of like the NDP. Who is least likely to lock me down on the next emergency? And especially if you put it in terms of climate action, who is more likely to give me a climate lockdown? That, well, if you I, I, look at that <clears throat> angle, then I think a blue-collar seat and and the conservatives across the board are trying to portray themselves as the blue-collar party mm-hmm. and the NDP is unintentionally transitioning into the white-collar managerial class party. Yeah, well, they've always been middle-class slash worker. I mean, that's... They and, have and, traditionally been, but they aren't that anymore. Well, I mean, that, we've seen that in the U.S. as well. Like, the, the working class has always kind of bridged, you know, 
the divide between labor and and conservatism, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's but it's for whatever reason. It's I mean, and I find it, it's it's like knee jerk. And so you talked. We were talking mm-hmm. earlier about the the, the media. Yeah. When you talk about the Sun media, yep. that to me, that's that's aiming for the blue collar, the yep. the, the grade four education, yep. you know, blue you collar side it. of things, I didn't. right? You know, like, you said that. I well, let, let's take it even <laughs> farther. Hillary, like, you know, basket of undesirables, yeah. right? Deplorables. Yep. The deplorables. Yep. Oh, Clingers. Sorry. Clingers to their guns and religion. That yes. was Obama. Yes. But that is, let, yeah. I mean, let's, let's be plain. Yeah. The progressive vote is becoming more upper income. Mm-hmm. Again, when you look at the heat maps of the 2015 election, and then you look at property value maps, the two line up, like NDP support and higher property values, line up almost perfectly. I think you get that every once in a while. I mean, you saw this in the 70s with all the radical uh, uh, terrorist movements coming out. The Red Army Faction, Bader yep. Meinhof. Yep. Oh, yeah, those uh, are all Japanese Red Army. Yeah. Yep. Yes. These, yeah. these are all just kids with time on their hands right. and, 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 so and shame. That is, that's why I think some of the more working class areas of Edmonton might be in play. Same way, the higher income areas of Calgary could be in play for the NDP. Well, that's right? why I'm thinking it, like, it, it's an interesting exercise to go through right now. How would we advise? But I think it's, that's, that's kind of a, a non-starter for us on the eve of the election. Right, this would this would have been a conversation to have two. I weeks guess. Ago. I guess. Right well, now, or, or it, let's it, let's kind of say how we think that each each party's campaign has gone. Uh, did you guys see the debate? Nope. No, I don't pay attention. To, that. to be honest, I don't pay attention to debates either. I don't really. I, I had a camping trip to go on, and that was a far higher priority for me. Yeah. And I don't think uh, debates really solve anything. In that both sides, and, and I, don't, I don't care where you are, any level, mm-hmm. any jurisdiction. Both sides, if you if you gave politicians an opportunity right now to say, we'll never do a debate again, they'd take it. Yeah. Because both sides go into it looking how not to lose. They want to avoid that look in the mirror moment. They want to avoid that gotcha that can sometimes come from Absolutely. a Absolutely. And again, that's, yeah. that's, politi- that's, we go back to the start of our, our podcast today. That's kind of what I was talking about. Yeah. Just everyone's looking for something. Nothing to stick to them and yep. something to stick to the other person. And it doesn't have to have any substance, right? It just, yeah. it just has that, to have traction. gotcha moment, you yeah. know? And, and that's that's part of it. And I'd say, I'd argue for the three of us, we don't need to watch the no. debate. Right? We don't, because no. We get a lot but more I do up. understand that the debate was heavily watched. That it had... Uh, now, I don't know if this is significant, but that a higher numbers of people watched the debate, that's interesting. I, again, I don't know what the significance of that is, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, the high voter turnouts. In advanced polls? Yes. Now, um, there was a massive, much higher voter turnout in 2015. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it didn't benefit the NDP. There seems to be a high voter turnout now. Now, traditionally... High voter turnouts are bad news for the incumbents. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, lower voter turnouts tend to benefit the incumbents. However, what I'm seeing on conservative, um, uh, how would you say, conservative circles, is that they think 
high voter turnout is going to help them. Really? I don't know why, yeah. but they seem to believe this. Hmm. What are you guys' thoughts? Well, they might just be saying that as a smokescreen. Right? You know, be. because be. if you know that that's the pattern and if people hear um, that there's going to be high voter turnout or that's going to help mm. them <clears throat> or if they, they hear that that's going to be bad for them. Maybe if if you if you're a UCP supporter mm-hmm. and you hear two things that there's high voter turnout. Yep. And that's not good for the UCP. You might just go, oh, well, they're not going to win. I'm going to stay home. Right. So maybe by saying just saying out loud, Could you're, be, you're yeah. refuting that mathematical you're, you're, you're formula. You're push polling. Yeah. In a way, you're and kind so, of push polling. And then, yeah. and then just go. Well, maybe I'm going to go out yeah, and vote. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I. I but it's, it's going to be interesting. Again, you know, one of the reasons I say the three of us probably don't watch debates is, is because, you know, we've got certain certain approaches to life and yeah. thinking and philosophy yeah. and. and and, we're we're and stuff already like that because on the issues and we already know the platforms of each party. So it's not really telling us we didn't already know. I think the only thing you, that we might get out of a debate is say, okay, who looked is highly subjective shit. Yeah. It's who looked like a schmuck and who did. Yeah. Who looked perhaps more measured, who had yeah. the better diction, who had, uh, say the better poise and again, this is subjective. subjective well, yeah, hell. but it, it's, it's down to, because where I was going with this is what's always blown my mind is, is to hear that, you know, it's all about the money spent. It's all about the advertising dollars. It's that's, that's what catches people. Right. And, and well, I don't know. I've never sometimes, thought that. And, and sometimes, sometimes people not. vote, people want to vote for someone they think is going to win because that makes them a winner. And I, and I, like to or, me, that is, that is so, so I don't know. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I don't know if that's true. I, I I don't know if that's true. From a pop psych 101 point of view, I do believe it. Once I heard that, I was like, yeah, you know what? I can see that. And I think we see that playing out in, in the States regarding, you know, like just Trump's base right now. You know, that's what they love because they can't step away from him because if they do, they're having to admit that the reasons for supporting them, supporting them are, are now... Yeah, if you start going, oh, you know, he's actually kind of a an ugly guy. <laughs> well, you know, I, yeah. and then you're saying yeah. I shouldn't have been supporting him all along, and people can't deal with that. So, mm. do I do I buy it? Yeah, I think at least fifty one percent versus forty nine percent. Yes, I, I think that's accurate, right? And and I've always had a problem with that, right? Because when I go to vote, it's on the one hand, objectively, it's because I've you know I, I'm I'm platform leader candidate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? You know, parties in there, but well, it kind of goes to a platform, doesn't it? Yeah, but the platform can vary from year to year, especially mm. at the federal level, right? Mm. Um, but then the other thing is, if if I think that my candidate that I prefer is looking to lose, then that's when I definitely get out and vote. right. Yeah, yeah, because you think your vote matters. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it might, so that, it might that, be that whole opposite. Concept, yeah, it turns on on its head. Uh, I was trying to think, what vote base is more scared of losing? And Probably thought, the conservatives. I oh, would think, yeah. yes. Because if I'm a progressive voter, I at least have the foil of the federal government. Yeah. Right? That will act as a check on the power 
of Edmonton. Yeah. Whereas if I am a UCP supporter, if I'm a cons- or a UCP Wild Rose, that kind of right of center supporter, I am terrified of a Notley government in Edmonton paired with the Trudeau government in Ottawa. Yeah. That scares me to my core because I've also, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. It happened through, like when did, when was Trudeau, like the 2016? 2015. Was he? Because the, the New Democrats were 2015. Wasn't Trudeau 16? He was before. Might, he was already in or not. Like the uh, yeah, okay. I think it might have been okay. the other way around or it was later the same yeah. year. But, well, no. but because Trudeau's famous quote was, mm-hmm. why 50% cabinet female? Because it's 2015. Right? Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, they might, they might've been like the same, same kind of year. And we saw that right up until 2019 with, uh, um, yeah, those were not good times for the province. It decimated the economy. So I think that if you are already leaning towards a UCP, uh, kind of right of center boat, yeah, you're highly motivated. Mm-hmm. You are highly motivated. Well, for me personally, like there's the the Alberta Firearms Act or whatever that they're, oh, trying, yes. that they're trying to yes. pass, right? Gun gun owners are very concerned because yeah. the NDP is 100% behind the Federal Firearms Initiative. Yep. That those that was a major issue in why I am not voting for uh my NDP MLA, who I have voted for in the past. Mm-hmm. Because in spite of my differences with the NDP as a party, I have always liked her job as an MLA. I thought she was a superb MLA. Mm-hmm. And if she was running as an independent, I would vote for her over the conservative candidate. Right. It's just that I cannot, like her party is just, uh, after, after COVID, mm-hmm. when they're, they're, they were hard lockdown, 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 recreate East Germany, that really frightened me. Uh, and then how they are four square behind public disarmament. Yeah. That really, really frightens me. So I can't, in, like, I, I really like her as a, as, a, as a member, and I like the work that she does, and I think she's a really good person. But it's just that her party and the policies of her party are too harmful to me, to our society, that I can't vote for her. Yeah. Otherwise, I would. But personally, she's a nice person. She's a great person. She's a hard worker. She's uh, well. It sounds like even on a, even on a, a number of she's different great in committee. Yeah, a number of yeah. different issues. You would, you would probably support her as well. But this, I totally, this this one is kind of the the deal breaker. Those two, yeah, those yeah. two. Okay, yeah, they are they are that big to me. Well, that is very very interesting to learn. Mm-hmm. Good on you. With yeah. the uh, and actually, with regard to the firearms act, I just Runkle the Bailey put out a good video yep. uh, comparing the Alberta law to the Saskatchewan law. Oh, that would have been interesting. And uh, like he has good content, it's just his delivery is so dry. God, I have a hard time standing. And I was like, get a stuff. goddamn haircut! Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think stringy gray hair yeah, is a good yeah. look for you? Right? But at any rate, you don't want to wear your wigs. But anyway, the, the, you know, the, when the, you said dry, I was gonna say, is it like reading the Communist Manifesto? And then you start saying stringy gray hair is like, is that like reading the Communist Manifesto? Kinda, yeah, pretty much, yeah. But anyway, he compared. He's like you say, compared the the Alberta Act to the Saskatchewan Act, and the Saskatchewan Act is so much better written than the Alberta Act is. Yeah, it's so much more comprehensive. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the Saskatchewan Act, um, so both of them uh, introduce basically regulations. They create create this category of person called seizure agents. Right. Right. And and then they uh, uh, and a seizure agent can be anyone. It can be a a uh, law enforcement member or it can be a private business acting yeah. in concert with the government or acting yeah. as an agent for the government. 
the Saskatchewan law essentially makes it so you will lose huge amounts of money if you're a private entity who wants to act yeah. as, a, as a seizure agent yeah. for, the, for the government, right? Like, Whereas the Alberta legislation does not. Is, is not comprehensive enough. Um, um, so the Saskatchewan Act, the big thing about the Saskatchewan Act uh, is, it, is it requires uh, the seizure agents to, um, to, to create a storage facility Mm-hmm. That's somewhere that basically cannot exist within a major metropolitan area. So, mm-hmm. like in Saskatchewan, they couldn't put one in Saskatoon because yeah. it has to be like a kilometer from a school, a kilometer it's from be a restaurant, in the a middle of nowhere. Yeah. Basically, in the middle of nowhere. It's got to be managed t- or manned twenty four hours a day. Yep. No seizure agent can work alone. Right. Okay. And then so you mean you got high labor costs? So so it imposes high labor costs, and then it imposes registration and licensing costs, and training yes. costs, yeah. and and it yeah. just makes it like yeah, it just so makes what, it so even so the expensive. government yeah. so the government to to do even even the RCMP to do this will have to yeah. comply with this in Saskatchewan yeah. yeah so they'll have to incur all these costs but they're the government yeah. yeah then what's the point in doing it just to look like you're doing something. Like, what's the point in putting this law in place if it's to just make it, be to make it onerous? Really impossible for the federal government to seize yeah. firearms. Yeah. Or extremely. Okay, difficult. so this is a Saskatchewan bill pushing, pushing yeah. back against. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's, so federal, it's a Saskatchewan yeah. provincial bill. So if you want to seize firearms in the province of Saskatchewan, this you have is to how you have bill. to do it in our province. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to seize firearms, you have to. Yeah, and you have to have insurance, and every person has to be bonded, and every and all this stuff. Like it's. So when you say the the Alberta bill is that NDP proposed bill or no? It's a conservative bill. The UCP bill. bill. The UCP okay. bill. Yeah. So it's it's not nearly as comprehensive uh, as the Saskatchewan bill is. Yeah. Now, so. as for for the, the conservative talking points, for example, I, I know some like I've got some literature samples. And the NDP stuff is, aside from like the, the hard numbers that they had on, on healthcare, again, it, it has to, you know, stay kind of platitude, like ensure Alberta remains strong, economic strategy, create jobs, drive billions, new investment, build a better future, hire more teachers, build new schools, this sort of thing. It's kind of vague. It's more intention and platitude. Um, whereas the conservative stuff here, is, and again, I think this is, I can't help but think this is Daniel Smith running this show here. Like Could this be. is smart. Or, or her campaign for people. How they, they've got, they're trying to target the radical side of the NDP. Where they've got some pretty woke comments by four uh, NDP candidates. And like, for example, Rod Loyola. I don't know why the NDP carries that guy. That dude, well, yeah, maybe, anyways, anyways. I, I guess I know why, because it hasn't bitten him in the ass yet. Mm-hmm. But man, that dude is a walking liability. Like he is pretty radical. So and, what did he say? Oh, just he's, he's marched in uh, communist party marches and communist organization marches. They caught him quoted as saying an EPS badge gives you the right to beat up citizens and not face criminal charges. Like he's pretty anti-police. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've got four quotes from... Um, you know, some NDP candidates who are, you know, kind of, they were affiliates and with the whole defund the police kind of type mm-hmm. movement, you know, that, that came up uh, two, three years ago. I think that's pretty good strategy. That's very good. How they've, uh, they're promoting how they have a plan for uh, dealing with crime on public transit. Because again, even, even NDP supporters I know 
are concerned mm-hmm. about the violence on, well, like the, the degradation on public transit. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is kind of a gap in NDP electioneering. Like this yeah. is kind of a gap in their campaign. Well, that becomes a, a real problem. That right? can like, be exploited. And I think the UCP has done a good job of exploiting it. it like like if, you're the, if you're the party that extols the virtues of public transportation, yeah. but public transportation is it's miserable or yeah. uninhabitable, yeah. right? Like, because that's a big, big quality of life issue. Right? It is. Like, yeah. it's, it's one thing. Okay, you can enhance people's quality of life by by increasing their access to public transportation, but it's got to be. It's oh, and, be and it's a yeah. climate yeah. issue. Yeah, you got to make it right. Yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, you have to make it safe because that, that's your constituent. Those is, are your yeah. constituents. And and also, you're not just. Oh, I'm going to make this better for you. So I'm going to force you to use it. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. kind of where we're going. We are mandating public transit because because a lot a lot of my opinions. On, on, on public transit now, or at least the, the mm-hmm. experience of riding public transit, um, come from like spending some time in Paris and, mm-hmm. and, and using the Paris public transit system, which, which works pretty well. It's a lot of mm-hmm. access. It's a lot of really, And I thought, this is a really good... And I was sitting on the train a lot. And I'm like, yeah. this system works really well. The trains are on time. It's moving a lot of people. It's getting a lot of use. And everyone I see in here is absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like... Nobody's smiling. Everybody's yeah. happy. Yeah. The women are kind of scared. Yeah. And, and this is a system that's working well. Yeah. So there's not a lot of margin for errors <laughs> yeah. to, to, yeah. to, to lower that quality yeah. of life, right? Yeah. Like, what's, what's the phrase? Um, if riding public transit doesn't inspire you to improve your station in life, nothing will. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I, I, I called the bus the loser cruiser for years, right? Yeah. Like I, 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 I rode my bicycle. Yeah. I mean... The loser cruiser. It probably, I mean, okay, it probably so, hurt my social life in, for a long time, but I like I rode my bicycle yeah. everywhere just because yeah. I did not want to take the bus. I don't it, know anyone as who a teenager, actually likes riding the bus. Yeah. If you want to get elected, do not use that term for uh, public transit. The loser cruiser? Yeah. <laughs> or Well, if not, you want to get elected in Edmonton, certainly do don't. not use it. Or let's put it this way. Say if I'm if I'm a conservative candidate. Do not use it publicly, but encourage all of my people, like a guerrilla marketing campaign, to get that word on the street, to get the public using it. Yeah. Loser cruiser. I think you've brilliant. You've definitely hit on something that, you know, because. (laughs) The loser cruiser. That's good. That's good. Because it is. Because if the UCP is making a a law and order issue mm-hmm. out of it that's mm-hmm. that's their domain yeah it is it is right yeah in the but, same way that healthcare should be for the end if for the if NDs. the nds aren't addressing it and what and now we're talking public transit which is their domain ND, yeah this is their constituency who yeah. are having to take public transit because they can't afford a vehicle and and or it's already a shitty transit system is it their constituency i see in a lot of ways it is i think their constituency it's, is it's poten- definitely the people who see it as a moral virtue it's well there's that too. yeah but that's the climate I, I, side I of things but i don't think even and that's their consideration i don't think even in edmonton the public that many voters other than maybe the most hardcore downtown mm. workers are really motivated by public transit at all in in edmonton because the public transit system is, is pretty horrible it is it is but like, the downtown oh yeah, workers I mean, are a key ndp constituency yeah my whole life in edmonton which is 40 odd years now yeah. 45 almost it's, the, the, the thinking around public transit has been screwed yeah. well like, yeah it's, it's relied far too much on buses and not enough yeah. on trains because trains are expensive and, well, and, and it's relying on making a profit ways. yeah 
right? Well, it's, instead well, it's of instead of figuring out, okay, this is that there is a way to take a loss on transit but improve the economic efficiencies of the city. Yeah, that's a bit of an yeah. understatement, though, because public transit hemorrhages money. It's such a massive cost. It can bankrupt cities. Look at Detroit. Public transit was one of the key things that bankrupted Detroit. Mm -hmm. And you look at some American cities in California, like Stockton, uh, Los Angeles, uh, the, the cities that are bleeding money. One of the, one of the biggest problems they have, or Chicago, one of the biggest problems they have is out of control costs on their public transit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it can be really, really, you know, you can really get in big trouble as a city by putting too much emphasis on public transit or by not keeping those costs in control. So I can see why they're trying to find a well, way yeah, absolutely. to make it a little more, uh, to make it a little less of a loss leader. But again, that's really hard to do, especially because for the, 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 the political forces that really advocate for public transit tend to do so out of an ideological perspective in that it, it's, it represents things to them far more than just moving people from A to B, right? It's, for example, Jen Reimer with her views was that public transit should be free. Mm-hmm without looking at, say, the consequence then that it became a rolling homeless shelter. Yeah. And the problems with, with uh, safety, public safety on it. That if you had more, if you said, no, we're, we're not going to make it free. In fact, we're going to make public transit a little bit more expensive. It'd be far safer. It would be. It would be cleaner. It would be, you wouldn't yeah. have but urine and feces in <clears throat> our yeah, stations. Exactly. We don't want have all of this. But the, the whole point of a public transit system is But it kind of defeats that idealistic transit. point of public transit, right? Yeah, so we've looked at it. And I think I've used this example before. When, when we were in Gotham, I was in Gothenburg two, two years mm -hmm. in a row. Yeah. I could not believe the transit system there. I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. I could get anywhere in that city. Yep. You know, basically within 10, 15 minutes. Yep. My, and I was living on one edge of town. And you know what's right? really remarkable about both those systems is how they've done so much with subways. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're digging on solid rock. Mm -hmm. Okay? We are sitting on 70 feet of dirt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we said, oh, it's too expensive and the to do the city, of U the city of Edmonton used to have its own tunnel boring machine. Yeah. Yeah, it like, used to have, and it that is such been. an example in the, of in a like short early nineteen eighties. Like, yeah. like it, it yeah. it's it's a crime how long it took to get the the, the subway to the U to the university, yeah. right? Yeah, because that didn't happen until the yeah. late nineties. Now, if I can, yeah. you know, and, if I can drag out my familiar boogeyman, the union protecting or the union that covers public transit wanted to protect bus drivers because yeah. for every every train. Probably LRT puts nine bus drivers out of work. I bet, yeah. And not to mention the maintenance and support workers yeah. who, the ma the mechanics and techs who service those buses. Well, and, 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 the tra and the trains that we've built in the last, yeah. since since the millennium, have essentially have been kind of, because they, they're they basically all surface right-of-ways and they don't have right-of-ways. They're, they're running us alongside parallel. They're street parallel. cars. They're street, yeah, they're streetcars. And cars. there's a reason yeah. why every other major city in the world got rid of streetcars 70 yeah. years ago. Yeah, they're basically streetcars. Yeah, right? well, yeah but, but being able to go back 70 years, right? It, you're right. 
you use the metro. I look at the tube system yep. in, in London, and I yep. love it. Yes. Because once, once you get to know that system. Far and away superior system. Right? You, you, yep. can, you can get around London in yep. like no time whatsoever and just pop your head up like a little fucking gopher. You know, yep. it's just wherever you want to be. Yeah. Yep. You, know, you just have to figure out how to do it. But those tunnels were dug in a time where it was basically said, okay, <laughs> you, 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 this <laughs> yeah. neighborhood here. Okay, you're going to live somewhere else because this neighborhood ain't going to exist in you know. Two but days. still, there's it's it's worth subways are far and away the better way to run public. Oh, transit, no right? kidding! Like oh, okay, no so the, te- the technology exists for us to have yes. this, the, the new city, the River Line. Yeah, what it's called. The technology existed to put that thing yeah. underground the entire way to the south end of the city. The reason why we don't is municipal incompetence yeah well i shouldn't say incompetence it's separate agendas con- like again public transit to its staunchest advocates is not about transit efficiency Efficien- yeah it's not about moving people from a to b it's about accomplishing other social engineering guidelines and then a whole bunch of other lobby groups and and rent seekers pile their interests on onto it so then in when we asked for a pony we got a camel yeah. Right. Right. So you couple what you just said there with uh, what you said a couple of minutes ago about the union not wanting nine drivers put on. Or wanting to protect right? the bus apparatus. It was more labor intensive. To me, this is a complete failure of leadership because you know, what you need to do is have a holistic vision mm-hmm. and how to address all of those concerns at the same time. But Let's, you're asking so, these guys to like. If I'm a union boss, man, yeah, my career depends on my having ten thousand people in my union. Yeah. If it goes down to one thousand people in my, like, if I'm running, well, maybe not ten thousand people. Like, say, probably, you know, in, in the Edmonton local, probably I'm looking at what six, seven thousand people. Okay. That means I am important enough to command a two hundred fifty thousand dollar a year salary. Yeah. As head of that union. Yeah. Well, if that union now goes down to 1,100 people. But it's not. Right? You say, if okay. If it goes down, for, if, we, if we bring in technology that drastically improves the quality of public service and drastically improves the, the, the level of transit, but cuts my labor costs by 90%. Yeah, but it's not drop, dropping it by 90%. Let's say it did. Let's say it dropped it by you 75%. S- you Let's said- say it dropped it by 50%. You don't need me and my $250,000 a year said salary. Was one, so forget it. One train took nine buses off the road. All right? Yeah. But that doesn't mean you're, you're replacing 100% of your buses with trains. Right? You're not going to 10% workforce. Right? It's just you're happening to put a few it's trains still on the road. reducing my workforce. Right, it's still reducing my number of guys paying union dues. Again, there's a way to do the math to say this is why I'm saying this is where mm-hmm. the leadership is. So let's have the conversation. Let's let's resolve. Let's talk mm-hmm. to the social engineers and say, okay, we get where you're coming from, right? Let's talk to the union. We get where you're coming from. Um, here's where I'm coming from. I also want the people of my city to be able to move around efficiently. Right. Yep. So yep. let's have all this yep. conversation. So just off the top of my head, and I'm just going to throw, just off the top of my head, an example. Yeah. It's saying, okay, 90 of your bus drivers are going to lose jobs, but I'm putting in uh, you know, one train. Yeah. Right? And we're going to have more trains in the future. So you know, maybe we'll cut down on the intake for the next 
five years and, and we find homes for your two guys until the next few trains are up and running yada 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 right you know you, you, you don't have to how lose- can you be more efficient though if you i mean if your number one cost is labor in any enterprise any enterprise there are only two costs come uh, materials labor mm-hmm. well when the system's already built your costs are all like 95 percent labor so you build it around. So how do you make it more efficient if you're not going to reduce your labor costs? Okay. So and and in fairness, cities like Detroit, like Chicago took that view. We will protect, we will have no reductions in labor force. And then they bankrupted themselves okay, with so these massive payrolls and pension costs. Let's let's that they that they couldn't cover. So let's take the union rep aside who's making okay. 250k a year based yep. on the size of the union. Yeah. I'm just going to set him aside yep. for the moment. Right? Now you start planning around your redundancy rate. So how many are retiring? Mm-hmm. How many are being phased yep. out? How many can you buy out? Yeah. Right? You know, you build your plan around that. I'm going to need X amount of trains. I'm expanding in Yep. Up to West Edmonton Mall, we're doing the Valley Line. What's the most efficient labor force I can What get becomes yeah. our labor numbers? Yeah. Right? And build it around that. Okay. Now, now, Buddy, yeah. he's, he's like, okay, well, now my constituency has gone down. Yeah. yeah. But, you and know, he's going to fight you tooth and nail because you're taking, as Dave Chappelle says, you're getting between him and his paper. You are an existential threat to him and everything he represents. Well, you know what? That's he's not going to cooperate with you, man. That's up to the union. Right, it's up to the union membership. It's like, listen, you guys, we can keep all of you, mm-hmm. right? And this is how we're going to do it, or we can lose, you know, one in ten of you, so that this guy gets to keep the same salary that he's got, right? I'm you know, it's, it's that's not how the narrative will be framed. Yeah, I'm right? pretty sure that's. I mean, you well, might frame it that they, way, even if it's really the issue, the but it's not how the narrative is framed. I get it. All right, yeah. so like I said, just off the top of my head, there are yeah. conversations that can be had that can meet all three needs, right? I, in theory, I would agree with you. In practice, I don't well, think it's Well, in practice, we see it every day. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Right? The, the, like, I used to live in Royal Gardens. Yeah. 111th Street pisses me off, mm-hmm. right? Because there's only, there, there are two and, a half, two and a half exits from that. Yeah. You can go on to 40th, which yeah. had a fucking bike lane. Yeah. You can go through Lord Byron, right? Which is one-way speed that? bumps. Who is that guy in the National Post who who wrote about uh, the the line going to Nate and the 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 boondock, the, the absolute disaster of, of yeah, the, of, 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 like the switching system. Yeah, exactly. And and the, what were the words he used? Gawk or marble at the ineptitude. Yeah. Gawk at the incompetence. <laughs> well, that blows my mind. Did, and that's still like, like oh, that's still yeah. messed up. Oh, isn't it? that's still terrible. Oh, yeah, it's, you know, and and then they've made the entire have sections of the city undrivable. Yeah, and I, I think that was intentional in yeah, some probably. small way. Oh, like yeah. it, it was, it was a part of the goal. Because it's interesting if you look at the Edmonton, the Edmonton mm-hmm. train system versus the Calgary train system, yeah. right? Edmonton train system, the the original parts the of original it, parts were right? far and away better. Yeah. So downtown, it's subsurface. Oh, it was. And brilliant. then the original, the original surface system was Clairview, but it had its own right of way. Yeah. So it it's used not existing rail line. Use yeah, existing yeah. rail line. So it's yeah. not having to deal with traffic lights. Or it wasn't as disruptive. Yeah. It was still disruptive, but yeah. not 
as disruptive. Yeah, because it was like, you know, the, the boom comes down, the yeah. streets close, and then, boom, the train's yeah. gone, and then yeah. you're on. So it's a, yeah. it's a 30-second disruption. Yeah, it wasn't as, as bad. Oh, and yeah, then, it's not like the five minutes you have to wait at uh, White Mud and 111. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. oh, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. And, then, and then Calgary's, Calgary's downtown system, the trains are streetcars. Yep. Yeah. Downtown. But as soon as they're out of downtown, they're again, they're on their own right-of-way. Yep. So Calgary's system is more disruptive downtown but less disruptive once it's away from downtown. And I think it's probably a vastly better functioning system. Well, I would say that, again, both, both systems, I condemn both of them yeah. because of their reliance on streetcars. Yeah. Edmonton is, uh, had the right idea at the beginning to put it underground. Yeah. And it was just a, a, a scandalous failure of vision and leadership yeah. to not continue that initiative and just, ex- I mean, they extended the tunnels underground to government center. Yeah. It was just, I don't know, uh, just a, a tragedy and a lost opportunity that they did not. I mean, look at the experience of Toronto, mm-hmm. where the sentiment against LRT is so massive now because how they just drastically expanded streetcars everywhere and so infuriated and alienated public support for public transit. Whereas if they had just bit the bullet and put it underground, you could have a system like like London. You could have a system like uh, yeah. Göteborg. You could have a system like Berlin. Yeah. You could have a system like New York. Well, the funny right? thing is Berlin and Göteborg both have S-bonds, right? Yeah. Göteborg uh, yeah. is, is only cool. S-bonds. Yeah. If you had an elevated train system, that would be okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing, right? You can go I mean, up or you can go yeah. down, but on the Street ground is the worst stupid. place. Well, for no, it. Gothenburg yeah. is on the ground. Yeah, it absolutely is. You got buses mm-hmm. and you got trams. In fact, they limit the number of cars that can come into town every day. I think it's it's a rotating cycle, or you have to have a special license. Oh like, God, but like a congestion charge, like London does, probably. Yeah, yeah. but it's yeah. not congested because yeah. well, of course like, not. If you if you make it if you forbid people from doing it if you if you make it impossible for all but the wealthiest people to drive in the city you're gonna have fewer people driving in the city no what i'm but what i'm saying is the transit system is so good you can get around you don't need a car well right maybe and the you know the trains in and out of town are also very good how do you how do you like move things like how do you move got to move if you don't if you can't have a car how do you move i don't know you can probably get a permit like again i don't know everything or what do you do like for groceries Groceries, you can take them on the bus. Yeah, but that's if, what we if do. I don't have the trunk in my car. Now yeah, I but you're, go you're thinking like a North every, American here. Yeah, right? but now I got to go to the grocery store every two or three days. My time has a financial value. And the, and there's a grocery store within, within a 10-minute walk. Yeah, and so now I have to, I can't, I have to spend, like this is, I'm serious about this. I'm serious about this. Mm-hmm. Now my time is being taken away from me because I am continually three times a week, shuttling back and forth to the grocery store because I am limited in what I can buy to small retail qualities, quantities. I can't take part in bulk buy like a warehouse store. I can't lower my grocery costs with that. Oh my God. I can't yes, it's legit. No, it is legit. Costco's a thing. Costco is a thing. Why do you think it's so successful? Because it saves people money. No, but actually, when, you know, but when, when Costco's also a bourgeois thing. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It saves people money. Doesn't save the save, poor money because they can't afford water. to buy there at all. Doesn't matter. It saves some <clears throat> people money. 
Yeah, it's the inherent okay. leftist in me. I had to throw bourgeois in once. And the autocrat who says, no, I'm going to take away your mobility. I'm going to take away your autonomy. Oh I God. am going to inflict that okay. pedestrian lifestyle I'm on just, you, whether you like it or not. I'm just talking about the efficiency of the transit system in Gothenburg. This was all very efficient in other countries. East Germany had very efficient public transit combat. I, I doubt that. I, I don't believe it did. Well, no, it didn't. Of course not. Autocrat, autocracies are never efficient. Well, well, no, it, no, Mussolini well, did make the uh, trains run on time. Mention that. Yeah, Mussolini made the trains run on time. So, yeah. It's about the only thing he did. But. Um, dictatorships are always efficient from the dictator's point of view. But let's go back to the election. All right. Let's go back to the election. I do think um, uh, use and using new media to bypass gatekeepers. Because again, traditional legacy media will not, will not report this kind of type of stuff. They don't. They avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an effective use, or not an effective use. I think that is a new, a new strategy and something new we're seeing from conservative politics that we haven't seen before. I will say this. I do not see a lot of calling out of woke extremism on mainstream media. No. Right? Because... They don't report it. Because, no, because it, it's just dangerous it. to do. Right? They it, don't it, want to. It just raises shitstorms. Even with discussing whether they want to or not. I mean, right-wing right? media does it. Right? The Sun will do it. Absolutely, they will do it. But they don't have the, the widespread market share. And again, this is what I'm talking about, disproportional impact. Mm-hmm. When you get uh, like uh, one guy, for example... Um, what was it? Uh, uh, he was he became kind of a liability, so he stopped talking about him. But that Archer Puslowski, that radical, unhinged, fundamentalist zealot preacher. Oh yeah, yeah, the guy that when, got arrested yeah, all the time. Yeah, they were trying to the the legacy media was trying very hard to associate him with Daniel Smith. Mm-hmm. I mean, they went over and above. Like that was a favorite storyline until it became. He started also, uh, he just went nuts and he's going after, and he's talking about how he hates Smith. Mm-hmm. Well, also, okay, that, that's of no value anymore. So they, they dropped the story. Well, okay. But the media, because like that 80-20 split, mm-hmm. when you've got guys like Global and the CBC who mm-hmm. want to leap on any possible connection between right-wing fanaticism and the conservatives, and when the sun tries to attach left-wing fanaticism to the NDP. It's a very disproportionate effect. So how effective it's going to be to use new media for that well, that's, is going to be interesting. That's the question. Yeah. Right? So that's when it comes to our post-mortem, post-mortem on this, yeah. I'm very curious to see how the new media uh, fits into it. Or I don't know what we'll use for a metric, though, because it's going to be hard to measure. I mean... Well, let's say <clears throat> let's say the conservative get a shit pile of seats. How will we tease out the cause and effect relationships? That that well, that I might th- be I think in one respect at least, like just a very broad respect, mm-hmm. if you're attributing new media mm-hmm. to their current campaign and their foregoing of traditional media yeah. to their current campaign, if they pull it off, that will yeah. say something unto itself. Yeah, right? just. To what extent, we don't know. Yeah. But um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of punditry after the fact. We should be yep. able to get hold of this. So, uh, okay, boys. Predictions. Bold and fearless predictions. I, I predict UCP. 
Okay, so right now, as it stands right now, 63 seats for the PCs. Okay. 24 for the new Democrats. That doesn't surprise me at all. That's what it is right now. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to be Monday night? Probably those numbers. You think about about the same? I don't think we're going to see any surprises. Hmm. I think this is, <clears throat> you know, it, it, I'm, I'm betting that roughly mirrors what happened in 2019. Yep. I think the big difference right now is, uh, you know, the, the only thing that really made the difference in 2015 and was shorn up, shored up by 2019 was the split with the Wild Rose. Mm-hmm. And that's yet again not here. So no mm-hmm. surprises. NDP might make some modest gains just based on uh, on healthcare mm-hmm. um, and its current state mm-hmm. because it's it's in a crisis that is actually a crisis. Um, what's what's NDP got in Calgary right now? How many seats have they got? In you Calgary need to go back right to 2015. Yeah, well, you had twenty five. You just need to go back, right? I have that up on there. So they got three in Calgary. Oh, right, right now, now. twenty nineteen. They got three in Calgary right now. I cannot help but think they're going to increase their totals in Calgary. I don't. I I don't think their gains are going to be substantial. I don't. I certainly don't think they're going to be enough to take government. I can see. Uh, you know. Is that three or four in Calgary? All the polling three. is say even even. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna. They're gonna increase in Calgary, but I don't know. I don't know if they're gonna increase enough for no. to get them over the line. Yeah, like I can see them adding maybe three more. I can see them going from three to six, maybe three to seven. That's not enough. I want to say I think I, I could see, uh, like you said, what is sixty three and what right now? Sixty three and twenty four. Yeah. See, I I could see the conservatives falling to like fifty five. And most, and and here's the thing, most of the conservative pundits are predicting that. Yeah. They're seeing going down at 55, but I don't really know what the source of momentum is for the new Democrats. Because the economy... I I think it it depends on the success of of painting Daniel Smith as kind of a villain. As as, as evil, yeah. yeah. I mean, the economy... In Alberta, has been better than like everywhere is suffering. Like we're in a, rece- a national recession. Yeah, everywhere is kind of suffering, but Alberta is doing better than most. Yeah, usually does. The only time it hasn't was is is since fourteen fifteen with we've the, been, the oil drop. Yeah, we've been protected by um, uh, good commodities prices mm-hmm. and a low tax environment. So we've been protected by yeah. that. And, so that and- usually helps the and again that usually creates low turnout and the ukraine war is definitely helping commodity prices in yes, all, all yes. the commodities oh, yes. right yes. alberta is a substitute Absolutely. for ukraine is um that usually helps the incumbent like again like people aren't as motivated to get out against the government yeah right um i'm not aware of any real major unpopular act like a goods and services tax or um, I'm trying to think. Well, of, I, I saw NDP ads were not not, not only promising lower taxes too, right? She has been, but yeah. I um, and I think they were they were doing okay on that. But then they released again. This was dumb. I don't know why they did this. 
talking about how they wanted to jack the corporate tax again. Yeah. That was dumb. That was the dumbest thing going because the, the UCP has really made traction on that. Mm-hmm. And then the Chamber of Commerce came out and said, this is a bad idea. We're going to lose yeah. uh, investment. I mean, uh, like, like they did last time, they jacked corporate tax 20 points. There was a flood of out, out investment. Like that was yeah. dumb. I don't I, know I, I, because it could, can the NDP help, help themselves from trying to play into that greedy corporation sentiment, right? I mean, and then the corporations come out and make a and make a nuanced argument, or the private sector comes out and makes a nuanced argument about how how this might actually hurt your cost yeah, your, your and job. Like they could have, they could have, except that got ruined in 2015. Yeah, because they did try it. We had a massive outpouring of reverse investment. Mm-hmm. The economy tanked, and it wasn't just because of the oil prices. Everybody understood that because Saskatchewan was dealing with the exact same oil prices. And outperformed Alberta in every single metric. Yeah. And that was always the point. I mean, that was the problem that you had Saskatchewan right next door. Yeah. And they weren't suffering nearly as bad. Yeah, but gas, <clears throat> oil, oil and gas isn't as big a thing there. It's more the natural gas right there. Still. No, Saskatchewan is the country's They're, largest heavy oil exporter. Yeah. Like the entire, they, southern, half of, the yeah. entire southern half of the province, south of Regina, well, it's not southern, but south of Regina mm. is a massive heavy oil yeah. Heavy oil field. I mean, really? Saskatchewan has really oil. moved into oil and gas. You right. know, since the Saskatchewan party took over, it's, it, they've well, really it, opened up that well, sector. It's 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 centered around Estevan, but it's yeah. basically everything yeah. south of it. And and I mean, of course, and yeah. then and there's lots of oil that feeds into Lloydminster as well. There's a big huge field around there. So that's yeah. And it's those those are old fields. They're not they're yeah. not new developments, right? Yeah. They just exploited them. Yeah, they're just generally being opened up. Yeah. And again, the they 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 were heavy to tax. They, they pretty much increased every single tax in the Alberta catalog. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think that's been forgotten. And it's just that the corporate tax is one that people instantly remember. It comes to mind. And they're saying, ooh, there are consequences to doing that. Yeah. <clears throat> Businesses will relocate. Or they just won't increase investment. They won't expand. They won't create new jobs. So that was, that was pretty poor. Um, again, if I put my campaign manager hat on, I would, I would have said to them, okay, you keep that shit in the low ground. It wouldn't have been a big deal if, you know, they got elected and then they bumped the corporate tax in their first 30 days in office. Um, they would have had another three and a half years. Here's a hey, problem. Here's a problem with that. Just I know one, what you're going to say. Problem. No, you okay, don't. Okay. Okay. None of them served in the army, so none of them know what the low ground is. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, you know, just keep that to yourselves. And if you're going to bump it up, bump it up very early on. So you got three and a half years to do damage control. Now there's no guarantee you will succeed because they didn't in 2019. They bit them in the ass hard. But whatever you're going to do, if you got to jump the corporate tax, do not talk about it. Like deny it. Deny it during the campaign. Say, no, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. Day three in government. Ah, we're doing it. And we, uh, well, when you do it, hide it on page 4,957 yeah. of the budget. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? like, exactly. Don't let it get dragged out into the open. Yeah. That was a major strategic error. Yeah. Like that was, that was, that was no, I don't th- I bad idea. Bad yeah. idea. I think it's all nothing burgers. They can't win. They're not going to. I think, well, yeah, having, having looked, I didn't realize before we looked at it, the, having looked at the 2015 results and the amount of damage that the vote splitting did to the, yeah. to the conservatives. Like, I don't see how they can because I don't see. Unless, the they issue, take, unless they take both major cities. 
I don't need to take all the urban vote. Yeah, yeah. I, like I, I don't see a major gaffe that was made by Smith. Um, from what I can glean, the draw, the debate was a solve. Hmm. Nobody, if anything, the conservatives were feeling really good about the debate performance. Yeah. So at least that tells me, like the NDP was kind of like, nah. Like from what I'm seeing from their sources, they're seeing nothing burger. And the conservatives were feeling energized. Mm. So there's there's no food for the NDP vote in there. Yeah. I don't, Is there's it, not a bad economy. Too, too many people, too many rich people in Calgary are rich because of resource extraction. Mm. Right. And it's, they know where it's at that bread. Well, it's off. their kids though who inherited that wealth who are the NDP constituency. Um, but again, there's nothing for them. There's no real red meat for those guys. Yeah. Right. There's, there's no, the economy is not going bad. Which is a big predictor in a change of yeah, 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 that's that's. Uh, there's no problems. major, unpopular, um, um, uh, say policy move like uh, Merkel's refugee policy, mm-hmm. or say like uh, Brexit, or the GST, or you know some singular act of government, which a, a single issue question which can bring down a government that was otherwise you know probably didn't have anything to worry about. Um, you had no big gaffe. I just don't see what can really... Not enough can go wrong for the Tories. Yeah, is there's, there's, not, there's <clears throat> nothing to really animate no. yeah. people against them. No, yeah. this, is, this is the Tories to lose and they're not going to lose. And when I look at the, the vote, like, you know, when I start seeing 45, 45% splits in traditional polls... You always have to account for the silent conservative. So you always got to bump up the conservative vote, like from what is published in mainstream media, like the Ipsos uh, poll, the, um, the um, Abacus polls, all of those. You have to bump conservative five, drop progressive five. You have, there's a hidden 10% split in there. And then when I see that, instead of going from 45-45, I'm back to 2019 with a 50 to 42. Yeah. You know, instead of 45 each, mm-hmm. one's at 50, one's at 40. Yeah. So I'm expecting, I'm going to say 58 seats for the conservatives. And I'm going to say that those other six seats in around Calgary, maybe, uh, I'm going to say 58, 58 to say 28. I'm going to, I'm going to pick the, the NDP to gain Four. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fifty-eight uh, twenty million. Yeah. Right? No, the the NDP is going to have to gain more because I can see the I can see the Conservatives losing a net five and the NDP gaining five. But that said, I do think there's going to be a flip in Edmonton. I think the Conservatives are going to gain. They're going to hold their seat. Mm-hmm. They're going to gain another one. And uh, I'll pick the NDP to hold on to their Lethbridge seat. And then the rest of the flips will be, it'll, the primary change will be in Calgary, but not enough to compensate for their failure to gain a toehold in any of the other urban areas right. and to compensate for the loss of those two Edmonton seats. That's my fearless prediction. All right then. Tune in next time. And we'll yeah. see how wrong we were. We'll see how wrong we were. <laughs> NDP majority. Thanks everybody. Might happen. Hey, Maggie. Said he'll eat two hats if it don't happen. So...